kids. I mean, we had a kid who, you know, I think he felt so convicted. He confessed that he had sex. He was like probably a freshman in high school at my school. They forced him to get on the intercom and tell the entire student body. What? Oh my God. Yeah, this is terrible. What? This is insane. That should, that's not a crime. <laughs> no, well, 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 the thing is, is I'm pretty sure it is. <laughs> um, as, as far as I know, I'm pretty sure that school is under some fire right now. But that's what it they, at the after school, they formed a human tunnel and he had to run through while people punched and kicked punched him. His and- dick. It was crazy. <laughs> it was so wild. Yeah, it was wild. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Everybody, welcome to another episode of Growing Up Christian. I'm Sam. And I'm Casey. And we have a few things to talk about today, Casey. First, you got your eyes lasered. So how's that going? Uh, it's going fantastic. I I, I feel like a, a modern medical marvel right now. <laughs> like you just got <laughs> ocular implants like some superhero? Yeah. Yeah, it's like we raised uh, uh, an android version of me and then just plucked out their eyes and dumped them in a ditch, you know? Nice. What was that movie? Dude, I... The Island? Uh, remember that? The I vaguely remember it. I definitely think I watched that at my youth pastor's apartment, maybe? <laughs> Gee whiz, that's, that's a little ricey for a youth pastor event. I know. There's probably some scenes in there. There's a few people. It was a, I had a good You sure you weren't being groomed? Before. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think so. But that's what everybody who's being groomed says. I look. I wanted to touch his peepee. No, it's just kidding. <laughs> how does how does ScarJo make you feel? <laughs> no, I. Uh, it was a crazy process. I was I was pretty nervous about it. Like I was definitely yeah. Like I was shook up sitting in the chair on the way in, and I will say it's not a comfortable process but it's not painful it's like yeah it you sounds, know you it sounds awful explain it it's like explain it for the people taking the heel of their hand and just like pushing down on your eye super hard like, like that your part eye sucks. open or closed does it feel like if someone pushed directly onto your eyeball or like if you're closing your eye and someone put a bunch of pressure on it well open so they they like pry your lids <sighs> open like clockwork, clockwork orange style, and then I, I'm, I'm guessing just based on what it felt, what it felt like, there's some sort of a ring or something that they put down like over top of your eyeball, and they're like, hold still, don't blink, and so you're kind of like sitting there with this <laughs> thing on blink. there, and it, there's like this machine that like pushes down on it, and it's uncomfortable. I did not like it. And you do one eye at a time, so you get done with one, and you're like, "Oh God, I got to do one more." And then yeah, <laughs> they should have like a team like... of two, so you can do them both at the same time, <laughs> right? <laughs> Old doctor shaky hands and his ap- apprentice. <laughs> but uh, like after that, they do the actual lasering part, and it's weird because you can see the laser while it's doing its thing, which it's like is like a blinky really laser, or it's like a constant. It's kind of like a constant, like. It it almost looks like a a bunch of lasers in a cluster, and they're kind of just like moving around your eye and stuff. It, it was weird. 
they give you a Vicodin beforehand. So like after it was all done, we went home. I took like a three, four hour Vicodin nap. Woke up. Yeah. Felt pretty good. Dude, by that night, I felt fine. I mean, that was really? the end of the discomfort. Yeah. And I could oh, like immediately bad. see better than I think I've ever been able to see. That must feel so weird, dude, to just be able to see better without glasses on. It's like when Spider-Man takes his glasses off after he gets bit by the radioactive spider. Right. <laughs> yeah, I felt like Toby Maguire doing jazz hands. But uh... <laughs> before his, oh no, probably during his angsty scene where he had his swoopy bangs in Spider-Man 3. Oh yeah, that's that's the Toby Maguire for me. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Seabiscuit, Toby Maguire. I don't know if you've seen Seabiscuit, but... I have. That's that's a weird one to pick it's out a movie. of the lineup, but you, you like <laughs> the only reason like I ever saw Sea Biscuit. Yeah, dainty. I oh, the only reason I ever saw Sea Biscuit was because uh, we had like a for a family Christmas party. We did a swap uh, or a grab or whatever a Yankee swap. Everyone calls them different things. I don't know what you call them in the South or the Midwest, but um, I got Sea Biscuit. So I went home that night and watched Sea Biscuit on probably Christmas Eve or some shit <laughs> until I fell asleep and Santa came and brought me some better movies than Sea Biscuit. <laughs> the Island. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like uh, I watched Sea Biscuit at some point, but I'm just not a fan of jockeys. Like, I don't know how you go into that profession. Like, what what puts you in a place where you're like, I think I'm gonna pursue uh, jockey craft or whatever you call it. Yeah. I feel similarly about like NASCAR. Uh, I know it's a very, that's way more popular than watching horse racing. Well, maybe not. I mean, I don't know how many people watch the Kentucky Derby, but apparently that's like a very popular five minutes. That's what I don't get is like these horse races are like, they're so quick. I I'm like, when I finally learned like how this stuff worked, it's like, Oh, we're going to a Kentucky Derby party. I'm like, oh, there's probably a bunch of races throughout the day. It's like, no, you just get you just get drunk over a four hour period and then watch a 45 second horse race. Yeah, I feel like the audience for horse racing is like degenerate gamblers, uh, (laughs) the strange horse girl that you knew from high school and Saudi princes that just had a journalist chopped up. Yeah, well, maybe I'm not sure about that I please connect that for me. Actually, I'm not going to let you get off easy. Was it Jamal uh, Khashoggi? Khashoggi that the uh, Saudi prince had murdered the journalist. Okay. I, this, this, okay. <laughs> so here's context. If this makes no sense, yeah, I was it makes just no talking sense. to a uh, a a woman who was a flight attendant for I forget. It was like United Arab Emirates airline of some sort, and she was saying that. You know, she did all these international flights and stuff. She said that one of the Saudi sheikhs has a like jumbo jet that he had built, like built interior custom for his horses because they summer in oh, like no England way. or something like that. And then, you know, they spend a bunch of time in the U.S. for the derbies and races and all of that kind of stuff. So literally got like a jumbo jet that he uses just as a horse trailer. That's ridiculous. Okay. So it's a different one. kind of money. It's yeah, like, no, that's that's fuck you money right there. It's insane. People with fuck you money are really aggravating to people like us. Yeah, it's like I don't I don't really understand that kind of wealth, 
uh, but I'm willing to try it. Yeah, I'd give it a shot. I mean, what? Everybody thinks that they're the ones who would do it better. I'd I'd be good at being rich. Three weeks in, you'd be building a space rocket. Yeah, I know. There's a, <laughs> there's a point at which like there's a certain amount of money that no human alive is able to handle appropriately. And at that point, you shouldn't, dare I say, oh my God, you shouldn't be allowed to make that much money. <gasps> but their freedoms are being infringed upon. Oh God. This is, this is Marxism. Yeah, I've Tucker I, told me this was happening. And it's true, dude. You, the second you talk about uh, salary caps or whatever in this country, everyone's like, "You're oh, so you're a socialist." I mean, that might be true about me. I know that's not true about you, but it. <laughs> there, I don't know how it's possible that we all can't just agree that there's a certain amount of money that just nobody needs to make. It seems such a reason. It seems so fucking reasonable to me. I feel like I understand it because it's like holding on to this hope that like someday that's going to be you or like some form of that is going to be you. And by like limiting these like uber billionaire, you know, world conquering uh, uh, corporation heads and stuff like that, that you're somehow like lessening your chance of ever not worrying how you're going to pay your mortgage this month or something <laughs> like that, you know? It's They're like, just trying to make it big I in crypto. Jeff Bezos, because I need hope. I don't want to work yeah, at UPS. That is the hope, man. That's the Lord and Savior, Elon Musk, and Jeff Bezos. That's the hope, dude. They find your hope in in those figures. I don't. I mean, I'm, I don't. It's weird. I mean, there's another way to look at it, which is the destruction of democracy and society is basically like in their wake. But that's that's just a different perspective, I guess. It'll shift. Yeah, we'll see. People are unwittingly putting the hurt on them right now because of the uh, the employment crisis. Yeah, so. Amazon's like really having a hard, sad time about it. All I need to go is all I have to do is be like, all right, fine, fuck it. We'll pay you guys 20 bucks an hour instead of 18. And then you'll that'll solve their labor crisis. And Jeff well, Bezos will still put rocket dicks in this space. Works, buddy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> dude, I was thinking you about apply it. This pressure until you get a better, bigger piece of the pie. This week, dude, I was thinking about um, like, okay, so I worked on Saturday. I haven't worked a Saturday in years. Uh, and so I work for a retail company. I work in there for the listeners. I work in the corporate setting, but, uh, you know, Black Friday hits and we end up with a shitload of orders and our e-com. So a bunch of people from the office were like, give, like, you know, well, we're all showing up on a Saturday to help out. And it felt weird. I so having just Sunday off was a, a strange feeling. I haven't worked six days in a row in quite some time. And I'm sorry to any listener who works six days in a row and thinks I'm being a bitch right now, but <laughs> I I'm not used to it. And after working on Sunday, I was like, Can you believe that I was talking to my wife? I'm like, I can you really believe like people used to work seven days like before labor unions, people didn't have days off at all. That was like that was the thing that they had to free. fight for. Yeah, I know. <laughs> people want to shit on you. Before <laughs> unions, people didn't get weekends. They're the they had to fight tooth and nail to get one day off a week. That is so crazy, dude. Yeah, it is. No, I I don't know. I was watching there's like a series that I don't know what channel it was originally on, but I've been watching it on YouTube called like 
the worst jobs of you name it, Victorian England or the worst jobs um, for, you know, working in the such and such fleet, you know, and it's, it's so insane. Like what some of the things that people would do, you know, with basically with no choice back then, like the, the fact, you know, like kids working in coal mines and things like that. Like he goes over some of that type of stuff and it's just, it's, it's insane. And like how many of them were exposed to like really dangerous chemicals that eventually kill oh, them. Yeah. That's why when you watch uh, old TV shows like Gunsmoke or whatever, and it's all every ad is like, did you work in a factory? Do you have mesothelioma? It's like because they know who they're talking to. Yeah. Yeah. I we're, we're trending in a good direction. It's just not quite the arc that slow. I think anybody was hoping for. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, just it's, progress is a little slow. It, oh my god, I just can't. It's just so funny to think about people having to fight for like, hey, can we just get a day off? Like, no, no, that's unreasonable. Like, you know what it made me think of too is how, and look, I'm not to be a shitty dad sympathizer, uh, but thinking about like during that time, I was like, okay, you work seven days a week, you show up, you go to your fucking factory and you pull a lever for 10, 11, 12 hours a day, seven days a week, you get home and your six kids are like all up in your business. And you're just like that. I can see why at that point in history, dads would get home and be like, just shut the fuck up and leave me alone. And then, (laughs) and then those kids learned those poor behaviors from their dads. And then even though they got their 40 hour work week, and maybe they they were excited about overtime, right? That's how then overtime exists. They get to work it. Uh, they work that Saturday. They get time and a half, maybe Sunday, and they they like taking in the extra money. But it's like they just learn to be a shitty dad from their shitty dad. But their shitty dad actually had a reason to be completely fucking miserable. And all they they just had to like they just learned poor behaviors and weren't really stuck in the same situation. And I think we're at a point now where dad like people like I don't know most millennials I know are like way more chill than you hear everyone tells stories about their dads maybe like having a bad day at work and coming home mad or then you hear your dad talk about your grandpa and how bad that was or some shit like that when you were a kid but i feel like you are seeing like that like shitty leave me alone kind of mentality break even in people who i wouldn't argue are like having a lot of conversations about the patriarchy or something like that. Right. Even people who aren't like paying attention to that. I, I, people who don't think about things in those terms at all, they just work, they go home. They might even vote Republican, but they go home and they're just like, want to hang out with their kids and play with them and have a good time. And it, it, I'm hopeful if there's one thing that's slow, it's a slow change too, like, uh, like better working conditions, but I think better dads is a thing now maybe (laughs) i think so i think like the lowest common denominator of social pressure just keeps going up yeah (laughs) to the point where it's like oh no you you can't beat your wife anymore like we're we're not doing that anymore did you not hear yeah that's that's out now it's like but my dad is like it doesn't matter okay you can't punch your wife in the face (laughs) and it's even trickling in the right direction it's like I know plenty of people who, even in theory, like maybe who aren't paying attention to the science that's out there on it, would be like, I, they might not verbally say that there's any that that's a wrong thing to do. Like no one should do that, 
but plenty like the people I know who are parents, like I, of course it still happens. Of course kids are still getting spanked, but it's it's happening way less. I mean, again, people I know who might not verbally say that you shouldn't, or it's actually verifiably wrong or morally problematic aren't doing it anyway because it's just like maybe there's a higher level of empathy and they you just look at your kids and you go hmm i just don't think i want to hit them that's how i feel about it when i look at my kids even when they're being assholes i'm like i just don't want to hit them that just feels shitty i feel like i would yeah i feel like i because <laughs> I, I feel that way a lot of like i feel that way every time i go to target i'm like i I'd, I'd spank that kid the kid throwing a tantrum in the deodorant aisle yeah (laughs) i'm all for it going away i just that's why i can't be a parent is because i don't know how to create consequences for being the worst so (laughs) you just choose not to have kids you're like i'm not gonna hit other people's kids so that's fine we're good there (laughs) I, i just won't have my own and therefore i don't have to deal with it you know god wouldn't give you a temptation that you didn't have the ability to withstand yeah and, and you know you know so that's why that's I, um one thing we learned baron yeah <laughs> <laughs> so we if you're not in the discord uh you should join in because we've we've been a little hit and miss with it at times but uh there's some funny stuff that gets posted in there we were talking we were talking about uh noah's ark this week like that whole story of Noah, which we've harped on a little bit here and um, I was trying to recount like the way the story goes, because, OK, give me the content. Like, what was the rainbow in that story? Wasn't it like God's promise to not destroy the earth with a flood again? Yep, that's what the rainbow is until the gaze took it. Those <laughs> right. Devious gaze. How could they? <laughs> I mean, they're the reason that God flooded the earth in the first place. Yeah. At least that's what my church thought rampant homosexuality <laughs> no that's why god smited sodom and turned lot's wife into a pillar of salt don't worry yeah it's that was all a there. fun story they always right. made sure I mean, to have an illustration of that story somewhere in the picture bible for kids you know yeah pillar of salt that's fun to animate <laughs> i was thinking about that though and i was thinking like man the so the rainbow is like god basically saying like Hey, um, now I'm not saying I'm wrong. I will not say I'm wrong, but I know that that was a lot. <laughs> you know, I promise not to do it again until someday when I do do it again. Not by water, though. That Dude, I love that. Uh, the funniest fucking thing was I remember having conversations around like revelation and shit with my family. And it's like you're talking about the Noah story and they're like, look, God. Look, the rainbow is a beautiful symbol of God's promise to never destroy the earth again by water because we're getting burned to fucking death in Armageddon, kids. Like, this is happening. (laughs) Fire's going to rain down from heaven. Everyone's going to be fucking dead. It's going to purify the earth, fire and brimstone. And then out of that, a new earth is going to be reborn. And all of us who were saved, if you get saved and accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior right now, I know you're only five years old, but do that. And then you will come back to inherit this earth and it'll be beautiful and it won't be destroyed ever again by fire or water, but don't <laughs> count out earthquakes or famine or <laughs> Lord, you're going a little heavy on the brimstone. Aren't you like, 
<laughs> can we try something else? He's like, my hands are tied. I am nothing if not a man of my word. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, shit. I said I would never destroy the earth again by water. <gasps> by water? I didn't say fire, kids. You're like, okay, God. Nice one. <laughs> yeah, that is that is a story full of uh, really interesting points when, when you pick through it as an adult. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the little version, the, the Sunday school version of it, you get it. It try, it tries to make God morally superior in that story. And I, I think he comes across as a bit of a dick. Can you imagine like being Noah sitting in this boat with no windows in it, with a whole bunch of farm animals, just like farting and, you know, just the, the worst, right? The worst possible context. You're in a closet with and a dinosaurs beasts. and, and dinosaurs. <laughs> dinosaurs <laughs> well Meanwhile, maybe just the eggs i don't know you you're trying to pray and thank god for saving you but like you can barely think straight because of throngs of people are banging on the outside of the boat screaming for you to let them <laughs> as you get as like the water rises an inch an hour and they're just like absolutely screaming for their their lives for you to let them in and they're like well you know uh he should have repented about six hours ago bitch sorry you're it's about like to Joel go, Osteen uh, in the Superdome water yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> he didn't have PTSD he's doing fine yeah <laughs> also I think it's worth mentioning the irony of um of like answers in Genesis trying to rationally explain how all the animals of every kind could fit on an ark in a story where uh, the entire globe floods and the ark lands on a magic mountain and all the water disappears and a small little family restarts all of humanity. Like you, th- how all the animals fit is where rationality starts and how you try to make that work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then you get to the fact that like, it's, it's only one family that we're starting from here like how does that genetic tree track yeah. it's clunky <laughs> oh it's a clunky tree now granted the same thing was with uh adam and eve right one family starts it all and they all live to 900 years old and have 10,000 children and that's how they populated the earth it's like the bible's no fun if you're gonna nitpick brother yeah they're like i was Come thinking on. about somebody i was having a conversation about this as like one of the points of like one of the things that I look, you know, that as I started to exit Christianity, I looked at and I'm like, I don't, I can't make sense of this. And uh, the, the person I was talking to was like a young earth creationist, you know, was like <laughs> 6,000 years old and stuff like that. And I was like, look, dude, just think, think about this. Okay. The whole is destroyed. The only animals that survive are on this boat, and they're all getting off the boat at the same point. I was like, you look at like one species, like the gray wolf. The gray wolf is everywhere, or at least it was until we kind of stomped on them here, especially. But, you know, there's gray wolves in like Europe, America, all throughout Russia. I mean, you know, at the prime of their existence, they were basically on like six out of seven continents or whatever, right? They all had to come from this one point 6,000 years ago. It's like, well, but they migrate outwards. Okay, but they migrate outwards only at the pace that their food sources migrate outwards. Like, if there's no rabbits and deer in Russia for them to eat, then they can't go to Russia because there's no way to sustain them. It's like this whole thing has to spring out from this one little beach 
in like Turkey or whatever it was, Mount Ararat. Isn't that where they said the ark? The ark is. Ar- yeah, Ararat, I think. Ararat. I always I pronounce that. every word wrong. Yeah. Because <laughs> you only like, read them and never hear anybody else say them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was one of those revelations right there, just like Ararat. Okay. But yeah, I, I, he's like, well, look, man, if you believe that God sent his only son to die for your sins, to, you know, forgive you and redeem you and all this stuff, then like, you know, if you, if you believe in that, then a lot of this other stuff, it's it's nothing in comparison. And I'm like, I, that's not that's not helping, man. Like, yeah, I don't I don't even see the connection, to be honest. I'm not sure, like, because that's so much less plausible that it's therefore makes sense that all the wolves on every continent because isn't that i don't know if i'm if this is a correct assumption i i I might be misremembering but isn't that the creationist explanation for continents uh it was all in one and then after the flood there was that everything was in separate continents now or do they believe in that this the whole like the land between puddles yeah yeah (laughs) i don't what, I forget what I it feel was like called. I, got, what, I heard that thrown around a little bit. Okay. What do they call it before all the plates shifted and continents broke up? They, there's a word for Pangea. What, yeah, Pangea. That's what they, that's like what? Just a theory more or less. It stands to reason that they're used to all, it all was one place because before we had boats to get across the ocean, there were people on every continent. So unless everyone evolved independently of each other on separate continents, which doesn't seem to be the case. But uh, that's what was fun. Dude, I always had that question as a kid. I, we got to wrap this up uh, and introduce our guest in a second. But while we're <laughs> on the topic, I don't want to not talk about this because I bet most people had this question is I remember asking as a child, like, OK, so if if there were continents and when people came to the United States, there were there were Native Americans here uh, or First Nations or whatever. Uh, but people who lived here first. Right. So when Jesus died and rose again and saved us from our sins. But you have to know about it and you got to know him and you got to confess that you do. That kind of fucked shit up for those people for a good 1500 years. Like, I mean, Native Americans just died. Anyone, I mean, anyone in the Americas just died constantly without ever hearing about Jesus. And it's like, like the Mormons fixed this problem though. Yes, and that's the... It it doesn't not make sense when you think about that, like those questions, like that's a big moral failure for God who sent his son to die for the world's sins to just conveniently leave out half of the fucking world. And Mormons are like, we can fix this for you, God. I think it was Jews. Yeah, (laughs) it was Jews. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. They, they tried their best. They fucked it a little bit. They uh they really screwed the pooch a little bit. Um, is that yeah. a saying we can never retire? Please screw the pooch. You'll well-meaning I mean, Southern Baptists it. will say screw the pooch, and you're like, you fuck a dog. It's you just <laughs> not a good saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, again, family history, I guess. Yeah, dog fuckers. Is there, that's your family history? <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, this week we have a very interesting guest. So, so much fun. Yeah, this was this was a fun episode and a little different than uh, some of the others that we've done recently. Um, our guest today is 
musician. He's a producer. He's an artist. He's an influencer. He's even got an OnlyFans. He is a, a guy who wears a lot of hats, literally and figuratively. And uh, his name's Jesse Kale. Uh, I found out about Jesse from a friend of mine who went to a big church in Ohio, I think it was. And uh, Jesse was a worship leader there, sort of got disenchanted with Christianity and kind of set out on his own spiritual journey. But he's a really interesting guy that's done a lot of really cool things. And we just had a we had a great time talking to him. He was a lot of fun. Yeah, I I loved it because he's one of those people that takes you on a ride. He's got plenty of stories. I feel like there's so much that we missed out on that we could like. There's no way he doesn't have. I mean, he talked about having plenty of other lists, but you know, he talks about the stuff that I don't necessarily find myself believing in so much anymore. Whether it's like miracles and all this like stars aligning kind of things. And I'm, but I guess the best way that I've been able to put it is when you, when you stop believing in certain things uh, like, but you hear someone talk about it so well and so interestingly and so passionately. And also I believe him when he says the things that he says that I'm like, what the fuck? I don't even know how to make sense of that. Like you're just taking on this journey with, with the stories and it's such it's like ghost stories, right? I don't believe in ghosts like on paper, right? But if I sit in a room with people who tell some really good fucking ghost stories, I believe in ghosts when they're telling me that story. And for a while after like, and it, it uproots. And I guess that's, I know you want to go back to our Christian roots and that's where you put all that emphasis on the power of your testimony. Right. But, but in all honesty, when you hear good ghost stories, you you're along for that ride and you love it. Even if you don't, believe in ghosts so whether you are a listener who who believes in the spiritual or not or mysterious happenings and forms of miracles or doesn't this guy's gonna he's got a fun take on it all and an an incredibly fun story and i don't know i'm so excited i've been really excited about putting this episode out there so i don't need to blabber on any longer you can take it from here (laughs) (laughs) close us out do your thing casey definitely uh after the episode go check out jesse's music he's got a couple of different projects out there does like visual art stuff like that follow him on social media and everything and enjoy our conversation with jesse kale tis the season to be jolly and nothing makes me more jolly than a great cup of coffee you know what i'm talking about i certainly do casey So my house, this time of year, I turn the heat down at night because I like it to be like a frosty 66. And waking up in the morning, stepping out into the kitchen at 530, it's it's chilly. You got your long underwear on. You got the uh, flap open in the back, all unbuttoned with a little booty hanging out. (laughs) Rosy cheeks. Two sets, top and bottom. (laughs) They look freshly spanked, but it's just getting cold. (laughs) (laughs) My poor pets. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Nothing wakes me up better than a cup of hop Captain Cecil's coffee. And, you know, during the fall, I was really into the Knopsk blend. I just got a new shipment in. And I got to say, the limited edition holiday blend is 
fantastic. I love it. Yeah, I got to say it's uh, it must be amateur hour in here because you talked about it being a frosty 66 and I set my thermostat to a frosty 62. That's like a Siberian gulag. It's cold. Uh, you wake up in the morning and you don't want to get out of bed, uh, but you know, you have to. Sure, a pot of coffee going. And of course, I'm drinking Captain Cecil's. Captain Cecil's donates 10% of all sales to various lighthouse preservation organizations across New England. It's one way for them to make sure that they remain with us for generations. And as a New Englander, that's super important. New, uh, lighthouses around here, big deal. They're landmarks. And I know you don't know anything about lighthouses because you don't have them. You just have windmills, the lighthouses of the Midwest. Yeah, we have like grain elevators. <laughs> Not quite as scenic, but same thing. Yeah. Now's the time to pick yourself up some Captain Cecil's coffee. It's a 20% off Black Friday sale, which is going to kick off a 10% off sale for the rest of the month. Great gifts for the the coffee lovers in your family. Uh, it's absolutely some of the best coffee you'll be able to get your hands on. So head over to CaptainCecilsCoffee.com and get some of those delicious beans headed your way. That's CaptainCecilsCoffee.com. Tell them your buddies at Grown Up Christian sent you. And we're back with our guest, musician, uh, social media influencer. Boy, what else would you put on your rap seat, Jesse? Man, um, I've got one of those resumes that I call the, the MTM resume. It's the multi-talent millennial, uh, where it's like, you know, <laughs> grandma calls you and she's like, hey, can you fix my my iPad? And I'm like, grandma, you have an iPad? Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's just like, hey, can you edit this video for me? It's like, sure. Can you shoot this video? Can you build a website? Can you do the back end of my business? Can you, or, you know, whatever. So just all around been surrounding myself with tools of creative self-expression. So whether it's, you know, making you know, photography, videos, uh, poetry, music, you know, just kind of the intersection of uh, the, I don't know, the the birth of this accessible technology. Um <laughs> So doing all that, yeah. Dude, my my wife's kind of like internet personality, cosplayer, you know, that, that sort <laughs> yes. of thing. And it's like an old person from work will be like, so what does your wife do if you don't have any children? And I'm like, <laughs> I, wow. I don't know how to. She, she's on the internet. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's impossible for them to understand. Oh, <laughs> like, my There's no gosh. hope in even trying to explain to them what uh, it is that that is. Well, it won't compute. So we, uh, the reason that I know about you is uh, a friend of mine who went to a church that you were a part of. Uh, he said that you were a big part of their worship program and then mm -hmm. left and kind of gone on like a spiritual journey and stuff like that. Uh, why don't we just start off by, you know, give us a little background on, on Jesse Kale, how you grew up, where you're from. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I'm I'm in Columbus, Ohio. I was born and raised here. Uh, it, I have left here a few times, and I have I'm currently back here at the moment. Um, my yeah, my church background is I was born into uh, an empowered evangelical home. Um, empowered. What is that? Empowered evangelical. That's a subset of evangelicalism. I'm not uh, super familiar with. I guess it, it sounds it was, like there's tongues involved. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> it was basically the the you know my state of normalcy was my parents having a kinship or you know what they call a home group or whatever, and my dad's you know 
casting demons out of people in the living room while oh, my mom's healing people in the kitchen kind of thing. And I'm Where just like a little child. To come cast demons out of us on the podcast. We found a couple on TikTok that are really good at it and we want to see if they want to come on. That's Maybe. fascinating. Cast That's out of us. so <laughs> awesome. I love Dude, that. There's, I've found in the last couple of weeks, I've found that there's an entire community <laughs> of demon casters, caster outers on uh, TikTok and their oh, videos yeah. are wild. Yeah, it's, you know, that's one thing that I love about TikTok is you could be into anything. You could be into like a specific type of illustration and you will find a million people that are just like, yeah, I'll make videos specifically in this style or on this subject, casting demons out of people, you know, I don't know, astral projection, <laughs> like whatever. And there's a community <laughs> around everything on TikTok. You just have to dig it and then the algorithm just feeds it to you. It's true. Yeah. It's funny, like growing up in church and stuff, like you're almost like you're not allowed to watch horror movies, but you do occasionally get to hear a demon story from someone. <laughs> sort of like <laughs> fills that gap. Was oh it, my god! Was that like terrifying as a kid to be like in the same room as that? Yeah, it was like. Well, you know, it was really amazing about it, and something that I've carried with me post Christianity is a spiritual sense of authority, you know? Okay. And, you and it was, well, you know how it's like, you, you always hear, it's like, just, just call on Jesus name. And like, Jesus is, Jesus is the boss and Jesus will show up and kind of trump any type of evil. That was kind of just the, the simplicity of the message and like carrying that with me, like as I kind of, it, it just made me, I guess, less afraid of what was beyond Christianity and more curious uh, okay. kind of having that sort of foundational sense of safety with that. I guess that, that came from a, a behavior of spiritual authority, quote unquote, Interesting. I guess it like, sounds like the that, confidence uh, of knowing that you're the spiritual swinging dong in every room. <laughs> I mean, I guess, I guess that, but uh, maybe a little less like masculine and more just kind of like, you know, curious kid, just kind of wandering in like, oh, this is fun, right? Everybody's having a good time. It's like, whatever. But yes, that. That's an interesting way of putting it, though. I don't feel like I've ever heard anybody describe it quite that way. But like, like uh, more of a curiosity than a fear because you feel like a sense of, of, of security yes. in, in your belief. Absolutely. I mean, and, and security is foundational in any type of honest experience, you know? Sure. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, growing up with that. So going, going back to where we were just coming from, yeah, like, yeah. I love, I love the, <laughs> every now and then you'd hear a demon story. That was your, that was your taste of horror as a child. And yeah, it, you know, it, there were times when it was scary, especially when it was, you know, you'd go to like church camp and that's when, uh, church camp things would get radical kids are getting slain in the spirit and somebody's running around in the field outside and you're like oh they got a demon or they just did they just have too much sugar like what is going on <laughs> it's it's all of the above it's yeah, one right. part exhaustion two parts like no authority figure yes <laughs> no, there's exactly. a lot of similarities between being slain in the spirit and having a demon <laughs> exercise when it comes to the behaviors that you exude so you yeah i mean absolutely on which one's happening <laughs> and and you know it's funny it's like you see you see the same exact type of behaviors happen across like so many cults other religions you know you know groups uh kind of in in some kind of sync 
you know, in sync with each other, there will be these kind of radical, you know, manifestations of, of physical behaviors and stuff like that. So yeah. it's, uh, it's been interesting recontextualizing all of my childhood and, you know, experiences with Christianity and the Holy Spirit and all of these things since, you know, having my, my divorce, I guess. Yeah. I want to, uh, we can, we can revisit it a little bit later uh, when we kind of get to that part of your story. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I am interested in how you, because it, that's, what's weird about that. What's put, like most evangelicals. I feel like if you don't come from a charismatic tradition, uh, it's pretty bland. Uh, not mm-hmm. a lot is happening on a Sunday morning. Maybe right. a couple of hands go up a few offbeat claps from, you know, your middle-aged white people in the room. And, <laughs> and then that, but so when you leave that, you're like, yeah, I just left like, I just left it. Uh, but when you have, when you have all those like experiences uh, that feel genuine, authentic, like feels like you're really experiencing spiritual realm of some sort, uh, mm-hmm. the way everyone looks back on it after they leave is often different in what they were experiencing, or what they think they're seeing. So um, I guess it's, pro- so I don't know. I don't want to forget it later, but I, I we'll get oh, more we'll into like your deconstruction sure. later, but like what, mm-hmm. uh, like what, what is that to you? Like when you look back on that, ex- those experiences as a kid. Yeah, totally. You know, it, it, that's, that's really, that's really funny. You mentioned that I like, I tend to, when I talk to a lot of people that are in, in a state of like deconstruction or post Christianity and all of that, like, you know, I always forget that I had this fairly unique experience with both of my parents being as involved as they were. And, you know, my mom eventually becoming a pastor of a mega church and, you know, just having this very expressive, emotional um, you know, an incredible father. Um, so going into what became kind of my, my every Sunday and then, and youth group was, yeah, I mean, you know, people waving around banners, people throwing their, their hands up, you know, falling on the ground, shaking and, and, you know, speaking in tongues and prophesying. And that was kind of, you know, in advance, uh, with evangelical, I don't even know, like they, they would, you know, always encourage us obviously to, you know, tell people about Jesus, but also kind of like concurrent to that was like also prophesy and speak in tongues and, you mm-hmm. know, practice all these gifts and things like that. And I honestly felt more comfortable trying to prophesy over people than telling them about Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because it was like, I mean, if I can just like, if I can read their mind or predict the future, then when I say Jesus was like the one that helped me do that or whatever was, I was just a, a tool for that. Then I feel like that's the easy part, but just coming with just, just Jesus. I was like, how's that convincing? You know? Yeah. Dude, so, when prophesying, there's such a vague, you can do it vague. So I, I, I actually felt like I went through a, a phase of the charismatic stuff in college. Mm-hmm. Um, I never like did the tongues. Like I, it, there were lines that I was like, Oh, that's, the, I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm there, but I remember the first time someone we were in, like I was in this prayer group and you know, everyone's like really into it. Some people are convulsing and mm-hmm. someone puts their hand on me. There's a big circle and he's like, I feel like Jesus is giving you a word for me, Sam. I want you to speak Jesus's word over me. And I was just like, Fuck. <laughs> Is that the one? Hey, no pressure. <laughs> we do like a multiple like, choice sort of thing. Right. right yeah, I, was yeah. like, I felt like it was so full of shit the whole time. And I just start saying whatever the fuck comes to my mind. And afterwards, he's like, that's it. That's what I need to hear. I was like, I, I don't know if any of this is for me, actually. <laughs> that's what I was like. This is, feels a little much for me. 
Incredible. I love that. <laughs> I love that pressure. <laughs> I, I, apparently I do good at uh, when I have to make a game time decision on that stuff, but yeah. I might be able to muster that up again if I needed to. Yeah. Well, I, you know, it's funny because I feel like sometimes when that happens, it, it forces you to just go with your first instinct. And when we get, when we think too much about it, that's when it becomes ours and we try to own it. And that's not what's taking place. It is kind of like a, uh, a reception and giving of something that has way less to do with our brains. So yeah, yeah. At least in, in where I am now in my experience. So we'll get into that later. But yeah, yeah, that's that's funny. You can be super vague. Somebody will be like, banana. And then somebody in the back of the room starts crying. And they're like, oh, yeah. they're just like, that was it. That was the one. I feel like if I totally surrendered to that inner voice, it would probably just be like deep storage radio jingles or something. Yeah. It'd be like, you got a word for me? I'd be like, Save big money at Menards. <laughs> you never know. You never know. Maybe someone it's, oh man, it's so <laughs> odd. I've got some really strange stories for, for later to get into kind of surrendering um, to that inner voice, just no yeah. matter how ridiculous it is and how honestly life-changing it can be. Um, <laughs> but all right, let's, let's, let's scoot along. Yeah, let's roll along. With, all right. So we've already derailed you. Uh, just all you've talked about <laughs> is uh, getting Having a dad who would do the whole prophecy, you cast out demons in your kitchen. Uh, yeah. Let's, let's, all right. So, where do you fit you into up. all that? Yeah. So, um, so I was born at one point, and uh, no. So I, I got into. Oh man, I heard this Christian artist named Joy Electric. When oh I yeah. Was six years old. Oh my god. Uh, six years old. The song like Monosynth comes on. Uh, there's a local Christian radio station here called Radio U. Um, it comes on and I just like full body react to it. I was like, I don't know what all these crazy sounds are, but this is what I want to do with my life is grow up and play synthesizers. And I didn't know they were synthesizers at the time. I was like, I know this is a, a keyboard, but it's some kind of special one. There was you know, no way for me to like Google it or look it up. I just had to kind of ask a lot of questions and being a Christian kid in the Midwest who was six, <laughs> there wasn't, there was a, a lot for me to grasp onto, but uh, I started piano lessons and got my first keyboard and, you know, was going to church with, with my family. And man, I loved, I loved Jesus so much. Um, I had my first experience of being healed when I was four years old. I had a big weight uh, I was playing with like my dad's weight set in the basement, a big, you know, it was a 45 pound plate, uh, was sitting on the couch and I was just like discovering inertia and I was pushing it into the cushion and it would pop up and I just kept doing it in a rhythm that it kept flying higher and higher. And then eventually it slid to the end of the couch and came down and like crushed my big toe against like the cement floor. Um, because yeah, it was, a. Uh, it was rough. Then my mom just comes running downstairs, lays hands on it. She prays and I pain immediately goes away. Color comes back and I was fine. I just get up and I was like, cool. And to me, that was just this like, you know, solidifying moment that like, okay, there is, there is some power, you know? And to me, the context of that experience was, you know, we were a, a very poor, you know, nothing, there was nothing terribly special about our family except for that just we loved each other. And my mom, you know, asked the God of the Bible in that moment to heal her son. And that just was like, okay, God is willing to listen to this Midwest mom. Well, that's, you know, 
just doing her best to take care of her family. And God loves me enough to heal me. The little four-year-old kid that's doesn't have any type of track record except for curiosity and whatever. Um, and then, I don't know, s- started seeing ghosts and things when I was six. So, um, <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> was, but, but to me, it was normal. I was just like, oh yeah, this is probably this demon my, my dad cast out of somebody or whatever. It's just shows up in my room, scared the crap out of me. But like, you know, I was just kind of like, okay, I had that experience, you know? Um, that is yeah. that is a subject surprisingly we have not touched on at all. I don't think Ghost in our stories. fifty we're, some episodes is ghosts. We're gonna. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm just being funny. But so then you know, get more involved. I start making my own electronic music, and I remember being 11 years old. And my like, I started going to. I was homeschooled until sixth grade. I went to a private Christian school from six to ninth grade um and i remember being in sixth grade showing up like thinking everybody was making art and music and stuff and i had little tapes of my experimental electronic music and i'm trying to like hustle huh. i'm like hey man i'm about to go through puberty but like do you want to buy my electronic music tape and they're like uh what i'm picking my nose i'm like oh okay cool <laughs> they're all wearing two hours of joy speakers. electric covers essentially yes man oh my god um so yeah man life goes on i get to you know the first day of my sophomore year at said christian school and um i am so excited to like reunion uh with one of my friends brad and I accidentally knock over Brad's soda that he's drinking. And this kid across the table calls me an idiot. And I said, hey, man, don't be an ass. Well, there was a teacher who overheard me say the word Whoa. ass. A word. And I got suspended. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> and so I immediately went home and told my parents. And we unenrolled me from that school because that's absurd. And um, that's wild. The kid calls you an idiot. And you say ass and you're like, that's the bad word there. Like, yeah, really? hey. that, that was generally the experience at that school. You know, it was like everybody, we'd all be like screwing around. And then a teacher comes in and be like, who's screwing around? And I like, I've always had this just deep conviction of honesty. Like if I am living in any sort of departure from the truth, I feel disgusting. So I like, of course, she's like, who's screwing around? I'm like always the first person to like raise my hand. And I would always be the only one that got in trouble. <laughs> it would be like, everybody else would just hide. And I'm like, but even though she was clearly watching us all mess around for it, I'm just like, okay, just cool. Punish me like, for being honest. Draconian laws really reward the honest kid for it's sure. So funny, man. Say, um, say what you will. One thing that we have to give them credit for, you know, we know now that mandatory minimums work. Absolutely. Yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, but yeah, so gosh, then. So you're ah. still like, as you're in Christian school, you're in high school, like you're, you're invested in the Christian thing. Like, so deep, so okay. deep. It was like the, the idea of not being a Christian, like never crossed my mind. You know, I loved Jesus so much and I had this very palpable, tangible, sweet spiritual life of just like, you know, praying and seeing like almost responses from, you know, the universe and 
it just it just felt wonderful it felt romantic i would get like shivers in my spine every time i started praying you know it was just like this really wonderful thing and then as i went on you know i realized i was like i feel like i'm experiencing a you know a light that is different than the one that people are experiencing here in fact i don't think any of these a lot of these people even have the same kind of light on it was just this weird kind of experience as i got older um but then yeah then i started playing keyboards in the church like all the time it was like any most services and uh gosh that was from ages like 17 till man honestly like 25 um yeah it was for a while i spent two years of that though living in california um so I had gotten a job. Do you guys remember the Christian rapper John Rubin? Oh hell yeah, dude! Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so I was John that's, Rubin's that's your player, hometown boy. Yeah, yeah. That's sick, dude. So I, From I the was, land of corn, Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, that's where he was where born. I was born and yeah, man. So I was I was John's keyboard player for a little bit. Um, where did you get that gig? It's funny, was that like so, out of high school? Um, so I got that, gosh, I was like 19. So there was another goatee recording artist named Jeff Anderson, and he came and became the worship leader at my church. We started a band called Anderson Kale that was like a Christian cigaras and, um, just, you know, ambient instrumental post-rock really big, like, you know, oh God, I loved it. It was so fun. Um, and then we needed to record some drums. So we went to go record at John's house because John was like tight in that community and he had a studio in his back. Uh, and then he just like was like, hey, you're in that. Uh... I was also in an electronic pop duo, Christian pop duo called Fantastic. Um, and we, you know, uh, we weren't around too long, but we, we made a little noise <laughs> while we were. Um, and yeah, so John, John hit me up when he needed a keyboard player and or his drummer seth hit me up when they needed a keyboard player but yeah so i was about 19 when i started doing that that was fun that's cool <laughs> that was kind of, you did that for a bit right out of high school kind of like basically you didn't yeah really... yeah yep. you went that's... out of there and and started started doing that touring you know playing with all those christian bands thousand foot crutch and whatever skillet I don't... <laughs> oh, we, we, we can nerd out on on christian rock bands and yeah. stuff pretty hard oh What's, yeah uh, what were some of the ones that you got like uh that you got to hang out with and spend time with when you were doing all that oh man um well you know what? i i became really close with the family force five guys uh, oh cool. really yeah yeah they're so always I'm silly actually, I, I, everybody's I, like a silly group of dudes huh so so fun like really sweet loving fun creative funny like just a blast um the the front man solomon and i were so this was so this is getting getting to that story i was john rubin's keyboard player uh and yeah got to got to meet and hang with like a, a few christian acts um but then John's brother, Danny, started a company called Maker Studios that produced YouTube artists and managed YouTube channels and all of this stuff. John then quit the rapping thing for a little bit or like just put it on pause, went to work for his brother, and then they they brought me along to produce music. So I moved out to L.A. with uh, John and and produced music for a bunch of YouTube channels. Um, That's cool. And, and then, yeah, and John would always bring out like, you know, his, his homies to work on 
you know, various comedy songs and stuff like that. So we brought out Solomon from Family Force Five and him and I got really close. And uh, yeah, it's just just a fun little weird, weird time period. But that was like a two year gap where I wasn't, you know, playing in church. I was going to a I was church hopping all the whole time I lived in L.A., crying out to God for a community and never got one. Um, really? It's a very lonely two years. And yeah, it was it was funny because I would go, I would find small groups and I would show up and they'd be like prayer requests. And I would be like, I'm drinking a lot and I'm really depressed. And other people would be like, I'm getting new headshots taken tomorrow. And then, <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm not kidding. It was, that's honestly how it was. And it was such a bummer because people got really put off by my honesty and just how like genuinely I was looking for community. Like, because I was used to, you know, a, a communion that looks like, or a community that looks very Midwestern where it was like friends and family and out yeah, there yeah. it was very like, you know, career driven and which is fine. It's just a different, you know, different social and, and different uh, culture. Kind of like a, Whoa, Hey, don't, Come in here with your problems. Yeah, yeah. Talking talking negative. You're being a downer. Oh, man. I, I went to a church out there. It was so funny. I, I went up there and I was like, hey, I've been looking at a lot of porn. I've also, I think I'm an alcoholic and it's killing me. And they completely blew over the alcoholic it's killing me part and just went straight to the, we got to pray for your porn problem, man. I was like, I said, I sometimes look at porn, but I'm dying from drinking too much. I mean, maybe <laughs> it's so funny. Oh, God. Goofy. There is like such... Like anything sexuality based is like it's so offensive to that oh, community. Like they're so yeah. put off by it. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like it's funny as you get older because I remember like, you know, just like think you know, talking about like jerking off. Like <laughs> yeah. you think you're like the only one that's ever done that. You're disgusting. Oh, you're like man. you're on the path to being a serial killer or something. And then like <laughs> the older you get, the more you realize like, oh, everybody's done done this probably a lot. And those people are just liars. Mm-hmm. Like they just cast in the first stone here, you know? Mm-hmm. Ugh, so heartbreaking. Get especially trying to like talking to so many people. I feel like one of the most common conversations is just how damaging to like sex and you know a healthy like sex life and, and anything in, in that really like area is just totally damaged by the amount of shame and guilt and conviction of just starting so young in the church yeah it starts so young like pre-puberty they start drilling that into your head so that way by the time you get your first boner you can feel bad about it yeah oh my gosh i'm so <laughs> sad i have a boner but then always the pastor is always I like it's gonna happen someday i just didn't think it'd be today <laughs> it's me oh god go running out of the church i oh, set my dick on fire somebody please um and the pastor's always talking about like i love sex but you gotta wait my smoking yeah. hot wife and i totally have sex because we're married and it's just like Ugh. <laughs> what the hell and then also just being asked about your sex life when you're like 13 or 14 by like church leaders that's a big question oh, no one ever asked me yeah. about it oh that- man go until we had we had a Park kid in there my- for a moment holy shit that sounds weird right it's i mean we had a kid who you know i think he felt so convicted he confessed that he had sex he was like probably a freshman in high school at my school they forced him to get on the intercom and tell the entire student body what? oh my god yeah, this is terrible what? 
This is insane. I should, that's not a crime. <laughs> no, well, 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 the thing is, is I'm pretty sure it is. <laughs> um, as, as far as I know, I'm pretty sure that school is under some fire right now. But that's what they, at the after school, they formed a human tunnel and he had to run through while people punched and kicked punched him. Punched his and- <laughs> It was crazy. It was so wild. Yeah, it was wild. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, our sex ed looked like, you know, not educational, simply just sex is bad, don't do it. And if you have a boner, well, no. Oh, my gosh, the best. This was actually something my teacher said. Said, boys can't get boners till they're 18. But meanwhile, <laughs> I was 13 in class with one of those, like, no actual reason boners. I'm just yeah. sitting there just like, we're talking about sex. So I'm just kind of like, Ugh. and I was like, wait a minute. I'm not supposed to be getting boners yet. What's happening? You're just sitting, yeah, chilling with them dog, hanging. Like, what's going on? I don't uh, help, I, teacher, help. Yeah. God, I wish Jankos were still in style. Oh, <laughs> see, well, we had we had uniforms. So, oh man. Oh, so your Christian school? I gotta ask. Like, do you remember what curriculum they used? Was it like traditional school structure with classes, or did you guys have like the weird homeschool curriculum? You know what? I don't totally remember. Um, cause I was only there from sixth to ninth grade and I'm so honestly, I'm so grateful for what that school provided for me because like I said, I went from homeschooling and most of my social life was kids in my neighborhood sports. Cause I would play soccer at a local rec and then, um, church on the, the weekends and then getting to kind of experience a social structure in a safe environment. Um, like, like the, the kind of Christian school it was, uh, it was, it was something I was grateful for. I mean, you know, it was obviously not ideal, but it was, there was some goodness to it. And I met so many people that I'm still like so close with today. So um, yeah, that's awesome. an interesting way to look at it. Uh, it's almost like, it was like a halfway house between. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Absolutely. That was Liberty for me. Yeah. I went What's from. The, uh, medication what's the t- stuff they give you when you're trying to come off like heroin and stuff like that it's like a giant <laughs> oh yeah i don't know yeah, yeah it's like methadone perfect mm-hmm. it was like the methadone or, uh, <laughs> it, my socializing methadone <laughs> um and then yeah i went straight from there it was like it was funny because saying the word ass greatly changed my life it led me to doing music full-time because basically i was having like, like I was saying, in a, when I was 11, I was trying to sell my weird experimental electronic music to kids. But by the time I was 15, you know, and first first year sophomore, soft, sophomore in high school, um, I was starting to play at bars just with like, you know, a bunch of stacks of synthesizers playing weird electronic pop music. Uh, but I was also like, I wanted to play soccer for my life. I loved soccer. Um and then got suspended from school, quit the school, soccer went out the window. And then I was like, all right, looks like I'm just going to do music all the time. So I can thank the word ass. Uh, the actual, the first successful song I ever wrote that like got me my job in Los Angeles was called Tiggle Bitties. <laughs> so, so my biography is going to be called Acid Titties Changed My Life. There you um, go. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Where'd you go after you got... Uh, after you unenrolled from that school, did you go to another Christian school, public just school? On- online. It was the very okay. beginning of, of uh, online school. So it was like this archaic, just like, yeah. you know, uploading files and Word documents. It's just this whole cluster because it was like the very beginning of it. And so what was 
awful of me. Oh my gosh, you can hear my cat crying. Buddy, I love you. His name's Crybaby. Um, Crybaby. <laughs> you know, I could just email the teacher and wow, here's an, uh, something we could talk about with growing up Christian. Um, <laughs> I would email the teacher and be like, oh, we're having problems at home. I can't turn in any assignments. And they'd be like, well, you know, just no worry about it. You know, it's just a total lie. Oh my um, God. You know, but like I wouldn't, I would only have to turn in assignments like once every three months. So just like turn that's in a, everything at once and whatever. That's unreal. Yeah, it's um, crazy. I have uh, last year when all the schools and everything were shut down, I have a um, a junior, I had a junior in high school. I st- he still has with me. His name's, uh, he's my foster son, basically. He's 18. Mm-hmm. Right? So it like, changes this dynamic a bit. But he, um, when they were doing online school, he was like, I would get emails from the teachers. Be like, he says you guys, your internet went out. And I'm like, <laughs> Come on, dude. This is like, no, don't be this dumb. Please don't be this dumb. Right. <laughs> I'm going to carry water for you. <laughs> you can verify this way too easily. You said the internet was out. They emailed me. I was like, no, we have internet. And now they're wondering where you are. Like, this is, yeah. you can't get away with that stuff. Come on. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> you true. You at the time where you could, and that would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now they have it to where like you can't have like, you know, multiple browsers open. But like I would have I did my entire Spanish one and two in high school using Google Translate and I got 104 percent both years. Whoa. Didn't learn a lick of Spanish. Didn't didn't (laughs) learn a a word, but like, you know, just Google Translate and then that was it. Um, Yeah. Well, nobody did. I I don't know how many years of Spanish I took like cumulative. But mm. I remember like, uh, you know, rain jacket, library, toilet, you know, that kind of stuff. That's about it. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Those just a handful. <laughs> That's really going to save your life. The important words. <laughs> no, the important words. Um, but yeah. So, gosh, I guess. Uh, so you did I, online school for three years. Uh, and then it sounds like you did a lot musically while you're doing online school. Yeah, nineteen, you get hooked up with with Ruben. Ruben and do that thing for a couple of years out in California. Yep, yeah. So yeah, doing all that, and you know, it was funny because I dated really artistic, you know, weird, fun, cool, bisexual girls most of my life, and then got really tired of that, and was like, I'm gonna finally do what the church has been telling me forever. I'm gonna date a sweet Christian girl, and we did it for five years. Uh, and then, you know, that led me into my mid twenties and right around the same time that like, we both, you know, realized she was like, I want to, you know, settle down and have a family. And I was like, I want to cover myself in blue paint and run naked through the street. So like, <laughs> we've got different, we've got different ideas of, of where we want to go. And, you know, it was like, it was a pretty, you know, clean, sweet, respectable breakup. And that was around the time when I, I had had some people in my life that, they were like my two closest friends and they were both post Christian. Uh, they had both left the church. One grew up in a traveling family band and the other one just grew up in, you know, an evangelical. Was it the Hoffman family? No, it was not. Uh, but I feel like I know them, Um, but back to you, please let me know. Cause I would love to get in touch with one of the 1800 children they had playing in their family band. Amazing. Was one of them named Chase? Do you know? I don't know. I, okay. I think I I just remember like my parents would have they're, they're like folk music. I think it's like uh, the odds are good by the sounds of it. 
Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they, I think they had a child every year and a half for ten years straight. So, Dude, so what did uh, did the years in LA and just like being unplugged from the community aspect of it? Did that have a lot to do with you leaving Christianity? Not really. I actually lived with um, when I lived moved out there. I lived with Flynn Adam. Uh, which, if you're familiar with with Flynn Adam, he was a part of um, L.A. Symphony. Big oh Irish yeah, rapper. yeah. I was gonna say he went by Flynn, right? Yep, yep. He went by Flynn. So me and Flynn were roommates, and John lived in like so we had two houses on one plot. John and his family lived in the front house, and then me and Flynn lived in the back. So I mean, I, I still stayed in a pretty tight like Christian community. Um, I mean, I had like friends from all over the place because like playing in local music, like you know, it's just like. I don't know. And I didn't care if people were Christian or not, but like I stayed very like true to my relationship with Jesus and, you know, cried when I would have sex and all that that good stuff. Um, I have a a friend who was, who would talk about how he's like, I remember having, I remember having sex with girls and then feeling guilty and then trying to preach the gospel to them right afterwards and get them saved. (laughs) We shouldn't do this. That's a good angle. Yeah. That's like a right. you how like deep that shit burrows a, into your brain, you know? That's crazy. Oh yeah, bait and switch. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was fun. Do you want to feel bad about yourself? <laughs> because I already do. I don't oh, want to do this. This is what I do instead of having a cigarette. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, so it was really. It was honestly. It was my time. <sighs> so. You know, I guess I haven't really gotten totally into this before, but it was how much pain I experienced in my life when I was living in California that really started to to begin my my departure from uh, God, um, and not necessarily just God, but like Christianity, because it was like, like I said, it was like be trying to plug into these new communities and all of that, and being kind of turned away and crying out. I started dealing with tons and tons of stuff um, when I was out there. It was like my first time being out of my parents' home and, Mm -hmm. you know, having a full-time job and being in a startup of all, you know, so it was just like, I wasn't just working. I was, it was my life. And, um, you know, with that, also like the age I was, I was 21. So it was like, I was finally starting to, you know, be able to dissect my life and why I am the way I am and what I don't like about myself and all these things started to come to the surface. So it was just like a really, really hard two years and um, just constantly crying out to God, just like, help me, give me friends, give me community, like, you know, relieve me. There was no relief that ever came from this. And then uh, I eventually, you know, realized I was like, I need to go home. I need to go back to my parents' house and I need to get therapy and I need to get my shit together because uh, I was drinking a lot. And, oh, I was just sad. I was a sad guy. So I, that, can I make a that, like, jump back to your story earlier? Is it just like if you grew up in a world where like you called on God and God delivered and God answered, like and you mm-hmm. talked about the story of your toe being healed when you were a kid. It's like, was did that kind of stuff enter your mind where you're like, yeah, why, why, th- why here? Why this? Why not this? Why not when I really like your toe would have been fucking fine if you went to the hospital, but now you're at a point where you actually could use some. <laughs> right. yeah, like, where are help. you? 
Yeah. Uh, I imagine that had to play into it, right? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And and it became this kind of anger, you know, it mm-hmm. wasn't, it wasn't a disbelief. It was an anger, you know, it was, um, and obviously like ultimately like now looking back, I'm like so grateful for that time period. It was freaking boot camp. Um, but that kind of started to just kind of entertain this, like, well, you know what? Fuck that kind of thing. Um, and then it started to make me because the one of the biggest bullshit things that was always pushed on me. Sorry to get like, you know, intense about it, but like, no, go for it. People always saying like, what's God's purpose for your life? Waiting for the Lord's timing, waiting on God, waiting, 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 you know, like all of this stuff and just being like, I've never been encouraged to take shit into my own hands and figure out how to do it, you mm-hmm. know? And I like I I didn't have like any real examples of that in my life. So it was just kind of like crying out to God because I felt like I would be doing a disservice to God if I were to just go and try and handle it myself. Um, So that was that was kind of this this anger that came up in me. It was just like, why have I been waiting on on you? What is this? This is like this is just negligence. This is an excuse that I'm making. Um, yeah, I need to really just show up for my own life. That um, is a that is a weird like like back and forth paradigm within that community too. It's like on the one hand they're like very conservative, pull yourself up by your bootstraps sort of people, <laughs> but then on the other hand it's like, well, did you did you ask God? Were you <laughs> listening? Did you really want to know what God had to say about this? Or did you want to do what you want to do? Like, there's so much uncertainty there, you know? It's hard yeah. enough to figure out what to do when you're that age anyways. Much <laughs> less like mix, you know, sp- you know, eternal significance into it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and God forbid you're selfish, you know? Yeah. So um, it, was, uh, it was hard. It was really hard. But then I... I went home and started, honestly, this, this was like pretty revolutionary. It's pretty life-changing was I started uh, therapy with a Christian woman, but she did these kind of very like mildly esoteric, like guided meditation, visualization, uh, therapy sessions with me. And it was really powerful. She would just be like, all right, she called it safe place. And I would close my eyes. She'd be like, okay, go to a safe place. And I would usually picture like my grandparents' house or a big grassy field or something beautiful. And I would be there, you know, then she would be like, are you there? (laughs) I'd be like, yeah, I'm there. And then she'd be like, now invite Jesus to join you. And I would sit there and invite Jesus to join me. And then once Jesus kind of showed up in my imagination, um, then she'd be like, okay, now talk to Jesus, ask Jesus, you know, what he has for you today. And there was some of the most powerful messages and just like sweetest bouts of love, like in those therapy sessions from this, you know, guided meditation. And that's- You felt like you could really be fully honest in there. Absolutely. Which is amazing because that's an interesting tactic to employ, employ, to deploy, uh, because- a lot of Christian therapy goes sour, um, mm-hmm. but that sounds like actual therapy with a Christian twist. Like, you know, you're you're able to use that language to get the get what you need, get what they need, not even what you need, but what the person in therapy needs, which is to be honest. And supposedly you can be with Jesus, even if you can't be with other people. So to set that up in a way that felt safe is it's interesting. That's a 
kind of a cool thing for her to have figured out. Uh, yeah, to do. it was it was incredible. It was so incredible. And she was also, you know, like the first person to really challenge my like, you know, beliefs of my family and all of that stuff just start to kind of like shake everything in my life mm-hmm. and have it all fall apart in front of me. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> like a good therapist but, should. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh my God. She was wonderful. She's this like old, you know, like Jewish woman with a like a New York accent. She's like, tell me about how you judge your family. I'm just <laughs> like, I was like, me? Judge my family? Never. Like George Costanza's mom? Knew it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so that, but, but the seed had been planted of like, this this like temptation of departure from christianity and the church and honestly i was just like i was so much more intrigued by the people groups that i had come across in so many like creative uh cultures and and things like that rather than the church um and oh man um i think it was just it was a really slow process and then i got invited to start playing keyboards when i was about 25 i got invited to start playing keyboard at a local church that was like blowing up and like was getting so much money from all these mega churches from around the country they were just like we're gonna make this church a mega church and it was just like interesting it it was so wild you'd show up there and it was just like light show i mean you know you've seen it it's just like freaking light show everybody's on headset like is the pastor ready? All right, cue scene one. They're just like, you know, there's just like 50 people it's in a tiny theater. space, all just Crazy. freaking, yeah, just buzzing each other, like, all right, go, cue scene, change the lights. All right, are we ready? Are they ready? Get the band, blah, blah, blah. I'm just like, oh my God. Um, and then everybody gets up there and it's just like, all of worship is to backtracks and it's got to be the best. And it just was the most, it was just, it just felt gross to me Um, did it from the time you started or did you just start was it like because when you said yeah i'll do that uh had you started going to that church and then they asked you to do the music what how that what was the connection to the church they they showed up and uh i i usually played for free at churches but this church hit me up and they were like yo we've got money for you and i was like i'll start playing at your church sure Um, okay sorry if my cat's Making noise, he's pull, climbing up the back of my chair right now. Oh, cry, baby. <laughs> we'll, we'll see if he makes it. Um, so, I mean, they they basically, I had a, I had friends that were playing there, and they were like, hey, you know, they recommended me as a keyboard player, and they offered to pay me, which was cool. Um, um, and yeah, I started going there. And at first, I was like, I mean, at first, it was like I was impressed by the level of production and like just sure. how, how tight the system was there for how small it was. Um, but it quickly just like being there and I guess growing up this, this will go back all the way, but growing up behind the scenes in the church, I, you know, I saw it all. I heard it all. Like, you know, numbers were what mattered. Money was what mattered. Like that was what was important. And um, it was such a, it was a bummer to just get there and just be in one that was like, so obviously strictly concerned with that. And, um, they just built a business really totally and and like i'm saying all these other mega churches around that were helping fund it i mean they're all how'd they get to how'd they get that connection to them did other mega churches decide that this area needed a mega church and they all came together like do you know that no i don't know the story of how they they got so like pulled into this network but i mean you know they were having 
I mean, this guy, you know, pastor is went to Kanye's Sunday service, you know, kind of thing. Like he was like a Carl Lentz type. He was cool, cool guy, real cool guy, (laughs) Um, you know. But and then and then at one point, you know, like I, I had had a drinking problem like on and off for a few years. And I remember confiding in the worship pastor. And so guess what he got me for Christmas that year? He got me a handle of whiskey. Cool. Uh, and and that's, yeah, that's that was a neat guy. That was a huge, huge like punch in the face. And I just was like, all right, I'm I'm done. And left there, went to got invited to one more church that a bunch of my friends had started going to, and it finally like felt like home. And it was really, 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 really wonderful. And the pastor at the time, um, just this sweet dude. And he saw people, I mean, he himself was like a deep feeling, you know, creative type. And, um, uh, it was like very, it was a very great place to go, but I had already started kind of out the door. So, um, it was, it was nice being there, but I was just, I was just tired and had, so much of my own like curiosities and my my tangible kind of spiritual life that I wanted to explore outside the context of of the Christian the Western Christian Church specifically you know so yeah so I dipped out you know officially like started telling people like I'm not a Christian anymore when I was like you know 26 nerve wracking oh, oh, yeah it's oh a tough God. step to make horrifying you know. Cause you, you know, cause you've been on the other side of it. You've seen people leave the church and you never hear from them again. They're, they're like, you know, I, I had seen people like, um, banished from the church or excommunicated or whatever, you know, just these extreme things. And, um, just realizing, but then once I left the church, I realized I was like, oh my God, like the center point of so many of my relationships was Christ. And, uh, it was not any type of real authentic, not saying that Christ being the center is is inauthentic, but there was no other type of connection. Andy, I mean, it really can be if you're, if, because, I mean, if you want to take it from a Christian perspective or, you know, uh, from the perspective of what we would assume would be the perspective of Christ, it's like, it shouldn't be. Like your beliefs, your values, who you are, what you've done, all of that shouldn't actually have anything to do with your the your human to human connections but right and if now if if your connection to that with other is what's i don't know it, but we we see that go the wrong way all the time and like like you had said it, it that being the center of people's connections it's more of like the identity aspect it's like you know the riding gun club you know that's their identity and that's their connection or your th- local theater chapter or whatever it is it's just like it, it's nothing it ends up being nothing more than that when the, the lived experience of it isn't to value people regardless of whether or not they share the same values as you do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one thing I had experienced with like, you know, being around so many different people groups and then having like my church friends and then my music friends and my art friends and my LA life and all of this stuff, it was like some of the most loving, wonderful, selfless, people that would show up at my front door and ask me if I was doing okay. Those weren't my Christian friends, <laughs> you know? So I was just I know like, about that. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I was just like, wow, there is, there is a deep loving character. It was just like, I, I've just felt like I was so deep underneath believing, forcing myself to believe a certain way. And then when I finally stopped, it was just like, 
what have I been doing and thinking is so strange. Um, you know, just so much like just passive judgment and et cetera, et cetera. That was just so beautiful. Like I think back uh, on it, I was like, think how can I do that? Hearing your story and so many others, like the irony of like what you experience, like what, what people experience when they say, when they shed that belief or when they decide to leave this, I don't, maybe it's an Americanized version of Christian, whatever you want to call it. Like, I don't, and we can get into like where you're at and how you understand spirituality, uh, from here, I guess, but like all the things we were told Jesus would do for us, that how the, how it, he, you know, you're, he, he will set you free. He will bring you peace. He will bring you joy. He will bring you satisfaction. He will, it's like, you find that when you leave that evangelical structure, it's yes. like, that's the freedom. It's like the, the truth that sets you free is that you, you can find what you're looking for outside of that building. And it, it's, it's, once you swallow, it's like, I don't know, not to make a 1990s fucking reference, but like, it's like the red <laughs> and the blue pill, right? Like, yeah, once you wake the fuck up, like you can't go back. Like even one of the things I think is fun about the matrix is like, even when they realize the outside the world is shittier, the truth, the shitty truth is just is where freedom is and not like in this like fake fantasy world that you build around yourselves and insulate you yeah. from the outside world. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, you know, it's one of control and, and it is not, that's like, that's one thing that like, I've, I observed, like looking back on it, I was like, oh man, you know, we're get, we got three things we're guaranteed in, in the kind of physical experience of life is birth, you know, have a kid, maybe have sex, you know, at least that's part of nature and then die. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's generally the, the arc there, but like in the, in that middle space, the space that we are in now, the space between birth and death, you know, I feel like there are two kind of core components. There is the primal kind of, uh, component, which is the, like, I need to, you know, mate and reproduce to survive. And then there is the kind of, there is a, a more of a spiritual kind of thing. It's purpose. You're like, oh, I feel like I need purpose. So what did the, the church, and you see a lot of a lot of things, they take control of those two aspects of nature. It's like we're born into a nature of wanting to reproduce and need purpose. And they just go, well, we're going to tell you purpose and we're going to, you know, tell you sex is wrong and, and we're going to control these things. And it really locks you into this like kind of really terrible. I mean, it, it is control and it's a bummer. Yeah. And, you uh, know, a wise man once said, do not tell me what I can and cannot do when I rock. When I, when I rock. Exactly. You know, and that's what I said to the church when I left. I even carried one of their microphones and then I dropped it saying, I'm not going to steal this because I'm still a good person. <laughs> Just because I'm not a Christian. Is wrong. Uh, did it make yeah, waves when so. you left? Like, did it, did it make any waves? I mean, I know you have like, you know, you know, you have good social media presence. Like, uh, but I don't know, like, if my buddy if noticed were, yeah i mean so do, do you feel like it made waves when you left uh did you hear about it much you, i was very subtle about it because the last thing i wanted to do was to villainize christianity i'm not like i'm not i'm definitely not on this podcast to talk shit about christianity i'm not you know i don't i don't walk around saying like man those people are stupid because they're not i mean it's just it it, it did 
ruffle some feathers and like if you know the pastor's wife wanted to hang out and sit down and be like i know you'll be back she said it so many times i know you'll be back and i oh, was that's just so like dismissive though that's tough man it was it was it was frustrating to me at the time because she's wonderful she's so sweet and i love her to death and you know still do but it, i just felt unheard and unseen in that conversation because yeah. i was like specifically in my trajectory right now i don't i may come back in a year but right now i want you to see me for who i am and where i'm going and what i believe and how i feel this is me right now and you just saying that is is it stunk <laughs> yeah it's but yeah it's it's tough like mm -hmm to communicate some like their their viewpoint their worldview and everything that you know that they hold as like a, a you know that like a central pillar of their belief structure yes is based on this idea that like there's no purpose if you leave here like you step outside yes. this circle there's nothing good out there you know any joy is fleeting any purpose you feel is temporary and eventually you're going to realize the the error of your ways and it's like so hard to be like look, it's not true and it's not true. And, and you know what? I'm glad you're happy over there, but you got to just recognize that like, that's not working for me. And it's, mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm doing better out here. It's better for me out here. You know, that was, that was probably, yeah, exactly that. I mean, you know, one of the things that I would always try to tell people, if people did ask me about it or, or want to sit down and go get Christian coffee about it, you know, um, <laughs> in a christian coffee house maybe yeah, you know that kind of vibe just like oh, let's yeah. break bread let's yeah, fellowship let's, yeah i want to break some bread with you um i would i would always tell them be like i'm so much happier i feel so free i feel so honest about things i felt really deep down that i've repressed and you know it was like uh we, but what you were saying, where it's like me leaving automatically makes the statement to them that I don't agree with what they believe and that, you know, that like, and, and people can take offense to that. They, they are afraid of that. They don't want it to be questioned. They don't want to be with somebody that is saying they're wrong, even though I wasn't saying they were wrong. It's just the way I was living was saying that. And, or at least it could be interpreted that way. Yeah. But well, when the Christian message is like that, that we grew up with, at least, I, I mean, to be clear, there are plenty of Christian messages that, that wouldn't make this uh, assumption. That yes. Right. Certain, but um, the one that we grew up in was, this is the truth. Anything other than this is a lie. Any other version of this is potentially a lie. We'll make the decision based on, I don't know which one you, are looking at and we'll talk about it but right we won't. and so when like when that's the paradigm that's set up is like everything outside of this is a lie it is wrong uh when you when you can leave and say if that's good for you great uh but it's not for me anymore uh, i need mm -hmm. this it is and it, it feels like an attack because it's like you're you are telling us that we are wrong you're like no i'm telling you that that's your way of looking at the world and that works for you. And that's beautiful as long as it helps you grow and become a good person and maintain community. Like you mm -hmm. can say that to them and they're going to, it's not going to feel like that's not going to feel like a nice thing to say. Whereas yeah. that's what you would want to hear uh, with where you're going. So it, it's tough. It is telling someone, I believe you're wrong, but that's okay. Uh, because mm -hmm. none of us can really truly be completely, totally right. So mm -hmm. it, it's, it, it's an attack. And it's a it's a feeling that I feel like you got to have a little bit of sympathy for. And that's what I like, you know, you're totally 
uh, you don't hate Christianity and you don't hate Not the people all. that are involved or think they're stupid, you know, because who doesn't feel those same that same pull to interject and to disagree and to contest what somebody thinks, you know, and like, like you know, I have I have views about war that to me make all the sense in the world, you know, but when I'm talking to someone who served overseas and was in combat and they're saying something to me that directly contradicts like my viewpoint of it, like I have an urge to be like, ah, no, well, no, you know, but you have to almost kind of surrender to the, like this person was there. I don't, I don't see exactly where they're coming from, but I need to just let this be. I need to like mm-hmm. let them say their piece and take it with a grain of salt and understand they might have a perspective on this that I don't. And, you know, you have to do that so many times in life when you're having like meaningful conversations with people. And so I, I feel like there's a there's a degree of understanding we all need to have when having those conversations with people that just are having a tough time processing the fact that like you are doing better outside, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, and that's, that's just the truth with with any, I mean, any conversation, uh, not having like a respect for someone's perspective and opinion and like a patience, uh, you know, really just just shows that you're looking for a an, an affirmation of, of yours, because maybe you don't feel so actually secure in it, you know, I mean, it could be saying all sorts of things, but I feel like that that was kind of the case in a lot of those conversations for me. Um, Affirmation. That's, yeah. a, that's a good way of putting it. You know, it's people like reconfirm to me. Yeah. That, 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 that Tell I'm me right. I'm right. Tell me I'm right so that I don't have to ask myself if I'm right. <laughs> I want the best for you, but I do hope that you're kind of miserable out there. Yeah. That's what, that sounds like a breakup. Oh, my God. Because <laughs> it was, you know. Um, I want yeah. you to be happy, just not with anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. It, Wow. And, and talk about, so I guess m- moving a little bit on from like leaving, it didn't really create any ripples because I, I, I didn't talk about it too much and I didn't come out with some aggressive post or anything like that because I didn't know what I was stepping into. It felt like I was like, I'm going to go jump in this pond. I don't know anything about this water, but so I'm not going to turn around and be like, fuck the land, you know, yeah. like, I'm, like <laughs> you know, I'm just going to be like sandbox game. You're like, I have so much to explore. I love exactly. It. I was like, this is going to be fun. I, I've got no opinion on that compared to this because I don't know anything about this. So it was like, I get out there and all I have is like my experiences of miracles. And I haven't even gotten into the stories of miracles with you guys. Like, you know, um, I was when about I to bring was, us back there. When, so when I was 18, I went to Iceland with my band Fantastic and uh, we got robbed in iceland of all places they like don't even have like the harshest prison punishment they have is like three years in prison because like nothing that happens <laughs> the same crime rate is like yeah i don't know sweden i don't know yeah <laughs> it's so funny so That's we get there analogies. we get robbed and we're playing a christian music festival um their first and probably only um and we had been staying there for about a week at that point. So a lot of the people on the festival grounds knew who we were. And we told them like, hey, somebody broke into like the room we were staying in and stole our money. And we were 18. So like to, it was like a hundred bucks. I don't know. It wasn't much, but it was still like it was a lot to us at that point in time. And uh, my debit card had been stolen. 
at one point, this woman comes up to us and she's like, hey, can I pray for you guys? I can't do a fake Icelandic accent because I don't totally remember what it sounds like. But um, <laughs> she takes our hands and she's like, I pray that God gives you your money back. And we were like, thank you. And then she's like, never mind. I pray that God gives you twice your money back. And we were like, you're crazy. Okay, thank you. Bye. And uh, a few hours later, this woman walks in with a box uh, into the room we were staying in on the festival grounds. And she's like, hello, I'm from the church, like up the street. We heard that you got robbed and we took tithes and offerings for you guys. Um, this is from all of our services today. Here you go. And then she counts it out and it is to a dollar, like the exact, exactly twice what was stolen from us. You know, it was just this like amazing miracle moment. That's wild, man. Uh, also, it was like, uh, like right when I got to LA, Gosh, this is a fun story. I'll try to make this one quick, though. But I got to LA. Uh, I needed a car. I had been living, you know, in Venice for like six months. My studio was like a block from my house, and um, or like two blocks from my house. So I didn't need a car, but I was pretty sick of just being stuck on the west side. So I was like, okay, I, I want to get a car, but I didn't have a lot of money. So I was like, my friend Kristen calls me. She's like, hey, Jesse, can I pray for you? And I was like, yes, you can. She's like, what do you want prayer for? I was like, uh, I need a free car. And she's like, I pray that God gives you a cheap car. And I said, no, I need a free car. Uh, two hours later, I get a phone call from my friend Anna. And she's like, hey, Jess, I don't know. This is weird. Do you want my car? <laughs> so I was just like, then... There, there is a longer version of that story. That's just like a total, total confirmation that it was just this like miracle type of experience. Uh, do you ever think of getting back into Christianity to get free stuff again? You know what? It, it, <laughs> it was panning out for you. It continued after I left Christianity, and that that's uh, that was one of my biggest things. And it wasn't necessarily about you know what I was getting from it, but it was more of just like it became what I. I was in love with, with life was these kind of, you know, intangible, like, like this love with, with something that was divine. And some people call the source, some people call the matrix, some people call the light, some people call God, some people call the higher self, some people, you know, whatever is applicable, but like yeah. this love that I had for this greater thing like became just my life and it is now like my my entire life is what i spend so much of my time thinking about and, and focusing on and um and that was when i left the church that was the hardest part was this this like i didn't see god when i looked at the stars anymore and that was heartbreaking to me because that was my whole life and I, you know, when I thought about death, there was no safety net of heaven anymore. It was just confusion and darkness. And of course, I went through like a nihilistic period and, you know, just like started experiencing the ball rolled and rolled. But there was just this grievance of missing this idea of God. And, you know, eventually it all kind of started to pick back up in all these fun, whimsical, beautiful ways. And now I feel like I understand Jesus and love Jesus more than I ever have in my life. Uh, and Jesus no longer seems like some kind of superhero figure, but actually just like this incredibly wonderful, powerful, loving person that really just fucking got it, you know? Yeah. So I, um, I'm with you there, man. I, cause I still participate in the, uh, Christian tradition, um, I guess is the way I'll put it. Um, you know, I'm part of a church. I still find that connection to what my, like, 
it was like an evolving understanding of Jesus, right? You know, you're like given this this view of what he's like when you're a kid and it's very concrete and then it's like rules this or that and this is what it looks like. And then like if you maintain a sense of spirituality and then you continue to read it and pay attention to what he's saying, even, you know, outside of how it gets filtered through the rest of the New Testament or the Apostle Paul. This dude got it. Like this dude came here to tear down walls and all I've ever seen my entire life is them is Christianity building them up. Like there's this in out right wrong and, and when you realize that they're just there's no fucking walls anywhere and the people that Jesus is talking to and, and ridiculing are the ones who are building them uh who are partitioning what's holy and what's not it's like and so I think that's why I could still identify with it even though I probably don't get I wouldn't get lumped into it by plenty of people that I know they you know even since starting this podcast I've definitely received some messages not really being Christian anymore but Mm-hmm. That's and that's fine because I don't because you don't need Can that I anymore, agree? right? Like, yeah, Casey agrees, but like, and when you leave it, you like you didn't need that anymore, Jesse. You were able to just say, "I'm not Christian," but neither was Jesus, right? He was just <laughs> so. Who gives a shit, <laughs> right? And you can yeah. still attach to that message and that that like life giving. That, that to me it is a life giving message when I when I can slow my fucking life down for two seconds and think about it. So I hear what you're saying, man. I love it. Yeah. And, and, you know, there, there's so many opposing things that I feel like we were, we were raised to believe and honestly feel uh, compared to what Jesus was really doing. And one of them is like, honestly, just like self-empowerment. You know, I feel like so much power is taken from people when they're in the Christian church. It's just like, you're broken. You need help. Fuck you. And, you know, and, and, but like, you know, Jesus, like knew that he just had so much love to give. And I feel like we all like honestly do. And we, we, we get what we give out. And there's just, there's just so much like encouragements, you know, especially saying to his like disciples and just like, like you can do this. Like I already gave you, you already got all you need, you know? Um, it's and- funny. Cause they, they say like, they'll, they'll use the, the language, right. It'll be like, well, who Jesus came, who Jesus came for the sick, not the healthy. And you're like, no, we're all sick. Like, but we're all okay. Like, because Christianity also perverts we're all sick, and they turn that into a shame-based message, as yes. opposed to like Christ is leveling the playing field and saying, like, the only people who are in are the people who recognize that we're struggling through this together, and like mm-hmm. the people who have sat up there on their mountaintop looking down at you are the ones who are outside of it. They don't get it. They're missing out mm-hmm. on on the beautiful thing that's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just it's like this beautiful, beautiful like journey of of selflessness and love. But it's like it, it sounds so unsatisfying, but like it truly like is this incredibly beautiful experience that provides for you in ways that you don't know you want and you don't know you need until you live it. You know, because <laughs> we get we all get on like big egoic journeys. You know, um, but yeah. Anyway, sorry, I'm starting to drift into drift into later stuff but yeah no that's fine if you want to take us down i, I mean I, I i'm cool to stay here for a bit and kind of see your where you're at now like you're i mean i'm getting an idea of it you you've, mm-hmm. you've talked about jesus but you know after leaving the church and and kind of spending some time trying to you know you it sounds like you've kind of developed a unified ethos of some sorts yeah um, i'm just, i mean i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna 
I want to assume a student posture for my whole life. So I, I really don't know what I got right now, but I know that it's fun and it's lovely and it's wonderful. And um, so when, <laughs> so every time I, God, okay, I'm going to get into it. So every time I travel, um, weird, miraculous synchron synchronicities like take place and just fun things. Like I was saying, I have, those were just like two of my little miracle stories and I just have bucket loads of just like fun stuff like that, like answered prayers, crazy synchronicities, like, you know, whoa, this is crazy. Um, and now at this point in my life, it's like an everyday type of thing. Like, um, like even today, you know, I'm just like, I was moving a bunch of my, like, I have a bunch of, like, spiritual totem kind of items because it just, it's all fun and I love a subscribing purpose to things. And it's just, it's nice. It's like having a security blanket. Um, <laughs> and I do believe that things do carry some kind of, you know, energetic or magical or spiritual significance. Um, and I'm like, I, I'm in the process of moving and I waited to like have a day where I was like, I'm going to move only these items because I want to be careful with them. And I'm moving them and I just decide I'm going to stop and grab, you know, grab a, a quick like coconut water or kombucha or something. Of course, I would be getting kombucha. So I already sound like a hippie. Um, and I pull into like the grocery store and I had just been talking to somebody. I was like, I need to find a cool venue to do like a poetry event and also have like a spiritual twist to it. And then this woman rolls down her window and she's like, hey, Jesse. And I was like, whoa, hey, I give everybody a Southern accent. Not everybody has a Southern accent, but. <laughs> uh, um, and she just was like, it's me from the crystal shop. And I was like, oh, crazy. It's this woman who like sells, you know, like all of this stuff that I was currently in the process of moving. And then she's like, yeah, we just got this cool venue for doing indoor markets. And like, we want to start doing events there. And I was like, I'm looking for one as of this morning. So, you know, totally just synced up like crazy. Um, anyway, so anytime I travel abroad, crazy, miraculous things happen. And, you know, I, I was about to go to Europe for the very first time in my life, right when I had finally agreed and decided and kind of come out as I'm not a Christian anymore. And I was afraid that God was going to take his light from me and that all of my miraculous experiences would cease to take place and I would no longer be participating in the sweet magic of my existence. And in fact, I would just be kind of bland and boring and die. Um, <laughs> so, so we... Oh, man. Um, I started dabbling with prayer a lot, but praying not to the God of the Bible, but praying to specific moments in my life and praying to specific experiences in my life. Like, dear spirit that was with me when I was afraid when I was a kid, like dear spirit that was with me this day that I performed really well in school, dear spirit that was with me, you know, when I experienced this type of love. And it was always something that pertained to what I was praying about, you know, so that it was just kind of like, if it, it was kind of like, if it was this, you know, kind of cohesive whole idea of a supreme or like supreme being of, of of God or something, then ultimately those prayers would make it to that thing. But I wanted to try to get more specific. Um, and I started getting into, uh, we're going to venture into some stuff here. I started getting into star seeds and past lives. Um, okay. I've been yeah. down this, this uh, hallway on TikTok. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. This is, this is a whole thing. And, um, 
this was this is I'm going to tell you guys my my favorite story, and I'm actually going to Europe in about two months to write a book about this. Because um, I feel like I don't know. Anyways, you a book your life it. is magical. It's just, I think you're, you're like a you, whimsical, magical creature. I think whimsical. You are whimsical. That's one of my, you know, that's one of my favorite compliments. Thank you so much. I appreciate you're it. Welcome. Thank you. Guys. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I love stories. Stories are my favorite. And somebody once told me, God gives stories to the storytellers. And uh, it's my favorite thing. Like I have a whole, like, so this actually ties into it. And this is also a story. So here we go. Um, yeah. I'm excited to see where this is going because I am, I'm on this ride now. You got me. <sighs> All right. All right. Here we go. So it is the end of April or beginning of May, 2017. Um, I had been talking to this girl. Uh, I call her the mother of my awakening. <laughs> her name's <laughs> Anastasia. She's this incredible uh, vlogger um, who was living in Oregon now is in Missouri. And she had introduced me to star seeds and past lives and all of these things. And me just being like, just walking out the door of Christianity, I'm picking up everything going, Whoa, this is crazy. You're telling me earth is older than 10,000 years old. <laughs> just, you know, whatever. Just <laughs> totally just kind of like no shit kind of things. But um, everything was so fun and new and exciting. It was that curiosity that I first was talking about, you know, it just, it was just catapulted me into, you know, Hinduism, Buddhism, you know, everything, just whatever I wanted to know about it. So I got into past lives and I'm, I just performed a show with a band that I played in called Vespertine, which is Colin Rigsby from house of heroes. Um, oh shit. Nice dude. Yeah. So, so I produced the throwback first names. Like, yeah. Throwback names this episode. I love this. So Colin started a project called Vespertine. I produced the first Vespertine EP, and then I became the keyboard player in Vespertine uh, for a few years. And we had just played a show in Cleveland, and I'm laying in bed in our Airbnb. Or actually, it was a friend's place. And I'm like, dear spirit that sometimes talks to me, uh, have I ever had any past lives? And then all of a sudden, I very intrusively got three pictures in my head, one of them, well, three kind of messages. Some people call them downloads. It was just like, it was as if somebody had audibly spoken to me, but there were no actual words. It was just receiving information. It was one was you were Egyptian in a past life. The other one was uh, look up the Rosetta Stone. The other one was look up this blue stone. And so I was like, oh, the Egyptian in a past life thing makes sense because there was some odd origin story from my childhood that I was in a, some kind of Egyptian prince and I went through a portal to be here and now. And that was just kind of a, a funny thing in my family. They called me the boo-boo man. And it was the story. Uh, also, like one of the in one of my first ever safe place therapy guided meditation sessions, Jesus found me and he said, you are my lucky boy. And it was like very significant. And one of the very first contests I ever won in my life was to pre-screening tickets of the Prince of Egypt. And, you know, it's just like all of these little things. And ever since I was little, you guys are going to think this is stupid. But ever since I was little, I've always slept with my arms crossed against my chest and my legs crossed. <laughs> my college roommates did that. They were identical <laughs> twins and they dressed the same every night. So I don't put the same level of significance on anything they did. Um, they were just crazy. They were crazy. <laughs> yeah. So people would always make fun of me at sleepovers. Like, are you a vampire? Are you a mummy? Like, what are you? Um, so I'm lucky boy, boo-boo man. I'm lucky boy, boo-boo man, dude. You're speaking my, you're speaking my language. Yep. That's so, like the name of the episode. You um, lucky boy, boo-boo man, Jesse. I Kale. just, I wrote it down. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, so I, uh, man, I, um, 
you know, get the Egyptian thing. I was like, okay, that's funny. That kind of makes sense. That's cute. And then the Rosetta Stone, which I was like, oh, I remember studying the Rosetta Stone. I don't totally remember what it is. And I looked it up and it was like, you know, it's the most significant, it's considered the most significant um, Egyptian artifact ever found because it was what allowed them to translate hieroglyphics. It caused um, a lot of trouble for Mormonism. <laughs> is that true? <laughs> yeah. Wild. They had some tablets that they had purchased that were originally supposed to be written by oh. Abraham or something mm -hmm. in Egyptian. Turns out they were not. <laughs> man you know sometimes that happens i remember the first time that happened to me it's crazy yeah i'm just kidding <laughs> um, anyways rosetta stone yeah so rosetta well, stone I think maybe who knows maybe 300 years from now after you start your own religion with your new book uh we might come across some tablets that fuck shit up for you and your followers man tome like, of the boo boo man whoops oh no <laughs> they find an old youtube video of mine and they're like what is this <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, how dare you? Uh, so anyway, that was like, I looked that up and I was like, oh, cool. Egyptian artifact. That makes sense. And I feel like I probably knew that deep in my subconscious somewhere. And then there's this blue crystal rock thing. And so I just Google blue rock and I start scrolling until I feel that, you know, when you're a kid and you're like, I want that one and not that one. Like, it's just this like intuitive kind of response. I always wait for that childlike sensation because that's when I know it's intuition, you know, like why I wanted to collect that stone instead of that stone and carry that one in my pocket when I was a kid rather than that one. I don't know, but that's what I look for in things. So I'm scrolling and I was like, oh, that's the rock that I saw in my, my mind brain thing download imagination i click on it and it's called azurite and i click on it again into the website and it says azurite held in high regard by ancient egyptians pertaining to exploring past lives and alternate existences and i was like oh weird um so there was this whole kind of little micro, I call it an information confirmation. And I was like, crazy. And then I didn't get up and proclaim, I was Egyptian in a past life. I just went to bed because what the hell do I do with that information? I just thought it was cool. You know, yeah, sure. but it was a fairly like, fairly like, you know, fun kind of mystical experience. Um, so a few days later, I get my very first ever tattoos. I get Peter Rabbit tattooed on the right side of my ankle. And I get the white rabbit from Alice in Wonderland tattooed on the left side of my ankle. And they were sort of to represent a duality of storytelling and a duality of just kind of storybook characters. Peter Rabbit being kind of a feminine homeostasis and being kind of a like, like home um, and uh, nurturement to me. And then the Alice in Wonderland white rabbit was the, the adventure unwritten, like the go forth, the curiosity, the, you know, go down the rabbit hole. Um, kind of thing. So I get these two tattoos. And then a few days later, I'm leaving for my very first ever poetry tour. And it's in Europe. Because um, I run a poetry publishing company called Secret Midnight Press with my friend Ashley. And we had just published our first two books a few months prior, six months prior. And we were doing a little tour with Vespertine, Colin from House of Heroes. And so like he played acoustic and then we would do, well, we would do some poetry and he would play acoustic and it was a fun little thing because we kind of had just like this little um, similar, you know, fan base. We were all in kind of a rising tide together. Um, 
But that fear, I was going through that divorce and that fear of like God taking his light from me and, you know, no miracle, no miracles will take place on this international trip. Because like I said, anytime I've traveled international before that, there's just been crazy things that happen. Like, uh, I won't go into more, but there are lots. Um, so anyways, I get to, I get there and the very first day we are about to perform in Belgium, Brussels, uh, and... I'm vlogging, I've got my camera, and I'm like, hey guys, what's up? It's me, Jesse, and I'm in Belgium, and blah, 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 blah. And then I look out the window, and I see there are these two like human-type figures uh, with bunny heads. They're like statues. There's two of them. And I was like, hey, look, it's my tattoos. They're following me. Cute, two bunnies. And then I turn the camera around. I'm like, crazy things like this always happen when I travel. Anyways, we're going to go do poetry. Peace out. You know, Smash that like button. Subscribe whatever uh <laughs> the next day we are in cologne germany and we're out shopping and walking around and i sit down on this bench because i'm tired and i look and there's two little stuffed bunnies in the window behind me and i take a little photo of them and i was like cute two days in a row bunnies the next day we are in london we're about to perform and i run down to the bar to grab some water and there's this you know blonde girl there and she's like hello my name's anna and i love your poetry and i was like oh cool and I was like, what do you do, Anna? And she's like, well, I'm a social worker, and I also take care of these guys. And she holds up her phone, and she's got two rabbits on her phone. And I grab her shoulders. I was like, Anna, you're going to be a part of a story I tell a thousand times. And she's like, okay. Um, the next day, I'm like in a bookstore, and there's two bunnies on the cover of a book. And I'm just like, I'm starting to get this weird um, I'm starting to try, like oppose seeing these bunnies because I don't want to fall in love with them. I don't want to get like a sort of dependency on seeing these bunnies. Like I'm like, oh, I I don't want to feel like I'm gonna have a bad day if I don't see bunnies. You know, like that kind of thing. So I'm I'm trying to like push it away. We get to uh, the next day. We're in Paris, and at this point, everybody I'm traveling with knows that I'm seeing bunnies every day. And if you you've ever flown in to Charles de Gaulle. The you have to take a train to get to the city, and their warning sign for don't put your hand in the door is a picture of a rabbit with its hand stuck in the door. So, within moments of getting to Paris, I step onto the train, the door closes, there's two little rabbits right next to each other with their hands stuck in the door. And I take a photo, and my friend taps me on the shoulder and he's like, Hey, look, rabbits. I was like, Dude, I know, just, just stop. Um, so mind you, my birthday is five days away. And I was like, maybe it's some kind of big, like universal happy birthday that's going to, you know, kind of take place and unfold and it'll be really cute and fun. So um, I also had seen that like somewhere in around France was an Azerite mine. So while I was in France, I went and found a little like rock shop and found a piece of Azerite and I bought it just like for keepsake because the kind of past life narrative was still playing in my head. Um, so... To kind of speed the story up along, still seeing bunnies every day. We get to May 19th, which is my birthday, um, and we decide to go back to London because I, like I said, was I worked in YouTube and I had a bunch of YouTuber friends over in London. So May 19th, get to London, we all meet up and we go to this market. Um, I forget the name of the market, but it is just buzzing and overwhelming and fun and full of cheap stuff. And we're walking around, then we walk past the store, and I look in, and it's this shoe shop um, called Irregular Choice. 
and they've got things where it's like high heels, but the heels are stacks of pancakes and the strap over the <laughs> shoe is a, is a fried egg and there's a, you know, a piece of butter on it somewhere. And it's just like the most absurd shoes you could imagine. And I love absurd things. And there was these, you know, platform sandals that were blue glitter and pink flowers. And I was like, I need these shoes right now. I need these sandals because blue and pink were my colors and it was my birthday. So I was like, I'm going to go in there and see if they have these, you know, uh, sandals in my size. I walk in, I was like, Hey, do you have these sandals in my size? And they go, well, that's the only size we have of that shoe. So yes. And I was like, weird. Um, they pull it out. And they hand me the box and it's this giant heart and there's a pink bunny and a blue bunny kissing in the middle of the box in the middle of the heart. And I was like, oh, it's a big happy birthday. This is it. And I was like, no more bunnies, please. Thank you for the birthday present. I love it. Doesn't stop there. We get to the next day, more bunnies. The next day, more bunnies. Let's see. I was a night. Oh my God. The this 21st. Is so we get to the 21st. Um, so Egyptian in a past life, bought my Azerite stone. Last day in Europe, and you know, I've been traveling with these people for about 11 days, so we're just kind of, just kind of like, this is our last day here. I'm going to go off to the museum by myself. Just The British Museum is free. I'm going to go check it out because we we're still in London. And um, my friend Jared tags along. Uh, he was like my best friend. And I'm while we're on the bus to go to the museum, I pull up a browser and the very top banner of the <laughs> British Museum website says, British Museum home of the Rosetta Stone. And I was like, oh, shoot, I'm about to see the Rosetta Stone. I wonder if I'm going to turn into a ball of light and float into the sky or just like, you know, blood's going to start spraying out of my eyes or like if I'm going to go off like a bomb or I'll be triggered like some kind of like MK Ultra, you know, warrior or something. You know, like I was like, uh-oh, this is cool. So it's all I can think about. You know, it's like you're going to a party and you know your crush is going to be there. And they're just like, you're not even thinking about the party anymore. You're just like, oh, my God, I'm going to see my crush. So yeah. the whole time we're at this museum, I didn't care what we were looking at. I was just like, oh, my God, the Rosetta Stone's downstairs. <laughs> so we're wandering around. No bunnies at this point. Um, and finally, I was like, OK, let's do it. We're going to do it. Uh, I had like spent a lot of time like looking at other Egyptian stuff and there's like a longer version of the story where I was in there just like, Oh, this is crazy. And this makes sense. And blah, blah, blah. Uh, I go downstairs and I see off in the distance, just surrounded by tourists because it's, you know, it's the Rosetta stone. There it is. And I was like, this is the moment. And I start like, you know, slowly stomping towards it. And I like am ready for whatever experience I'm going to have. And I walk up to it. Nothing happens. I read the thing about it. I take a picture of it. I'm like, oh, cool. I was kind of relieved that I didn't just blow up and die or something, you know. Um, <laughs> it was just very. Two rabbits like The Shining. Like, <laughs> yes. come hop with us. Come along, follow me into traffic. And I'm like, no. Um, so I do that. And I was relieved. I was just like, okay, cool. Okay, cool. Oh God, I don't have to, as if, as if any type of spiritual experience is something that you have to show up for and is actually up to you and not just something that you find yourself inside of. Um, so I, uh, <laughs> I take the photo of it, go upstairs and we were getting ready to leave. And then I was like, you know what? We've got 15 minutes. Let's look at one more thing. I asked Jared when he wants to see, he says samurais there in the back. I was like, cool. We start heading towards the back. And right before we enter into like the, the Asia area, I turn to the left and I look and there on the wall is my exact tattoo illustration of Peter Rabbit 
in a wall of hieroglyphics. It's a whole wall of hieroglyphics. And then in the middle is this giant picture of Peter Rabbit. And it's the exact picture that I had gotten tattooed on me. And I was like, in what world does Peter Rabbit have to do with ancient Egypt? Why yeah. is Peter Rabbit that I have tattooed on me in the context of these hieroglyphics? So I, I like hit Jared. I was like, dude, we got to explore this right now. What is going on? Um, so we walk in and it's the gift shop. And I was like, okay, that kind of makes sense. Not really. Um, we walk in and... Sure enough, I find the table, and there it is. There's Peter Rabbit, the book, the original book by Beatrix Potter, uh, and it's written all in hieroglyphics. But the cover of the book is the exact bunny, the, the exact uh, illustration I had gotten of Peter Rabbit. And then directly next to it, on the left side of it, is a journal of Alice in Wonderland, and the cover of it is the white rabbit, the exact illustration I had tattooed on myself. So to my right, <laughs> oh my and though that represents exactly the duality I had gotten, where one was a homeostasis, an origin. It was Egyptian Peter Rabbit. And then the other one was a spirit of adventure, the white rabbit. It was a journal, and it was my tattoo. And it was exactly in line with my two tattoos. Here's Peter Rabbit. Here's the white rabbit. Uh, hold on a second. I'm going to go get them. <laughs> That's a crazy story. Yeah. You know, I don't even know what to make of this. It's wild. So I so here is Peter Rabbit all in hieroglyphics. And then right next to it is the white rabbit. And it's a journal. And it was just like this moment of just like the intersection of this weird like transcendent moment. Dude. It was crazy. I felt like my heart started racing. I almost started crying. I felt like I was going to throw up. I thought that the whole building was going to collapse. I thought I was going to die. I have a video of this moment. I pulled out my camera and filmed the whole thing. And, and I was just like, I, this is insane. And that was the beginning of this whole unfolding of what I call the divine love letter. And I just developed this really intense relationship with these rabbits and they started showing up and it just got really, really weird. And, um, honestly really sweet and really wonderful. And like I was saying, there was like a new kind of object for this romance that I felt and this love that I felt. Um, and it's evolved into so much more. Um, but yeah, so that's incredible. That is man. bizarre. I'm so glad it's you took us down that that road. Yeah, so is the book that you were talking about uh, writing? Is it just is it your experience with this, the story of this, like it's kind so, of how it's, it affected it's, you and stuff, long form? Yeah, it's basically it's the beginning of a series. I'm doing um, right now. I'm planning two books. One is the Divine Love Letter. The second one is called I Survived a Gorgeous Tranquility, and uh, which was like something I. <laughs> Oh, I have so many fun stories. I would love to. Tell We're gonna you have to have you back on, dude. I've, this <laughs> yeah, is there's crazy. so many, so many fun stories like you have exactly a lot. like this, and they just they they happen every day now. And um, but the book is essentially about all the miracles I experienced growing up, and kind of in the context of the Christian church and my parents, and um, and then that all leading into uh, my experience of discovering these and my my bunnies and then all the chapters that started to unfold after that i mean to tell you guys just to make myself to confirm that i sound crazy is i drove from ohio to denver colorado because they told me to and sure enough when i got there i found way more than i bargained for um it was it was wild so i've got a whole slew of fun 
stories that are all going to be kind of in this, this series of books and how it's really affected. It's led me on this journey that has ultimately led me back to this place now where I have come full circle. I am like in love with Jesus and like, you know, have this wonderful understanding of what it is to like, like lead a life of love and, you know, throwing just absurd egoic judgment out the window and just like, and assuming this, this, I just wanting to learn more and be curious and, and I don't know, it's just exciting. This is just like, this was the excitement that I needed post-Christianity to keep, yeah, for keep sure. the ball rolling because I, I want to help people. I love people. That was always one of the greatest benefits of being in the church was this opportunity to serve and, you know. You know who was another whimsical guy that saw rabbits every day was Richard Chase. Really? I've got to yeah. look this up. Did he go crazy? Google, Google Vampire of Sacramento. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, he was. He was a killer, wasn't he? Look at <laughs> he this. had a different relationship with rabbits, but he did. they were important to him as well. This is yeah, so okay. fascinating. Yeah, the Dracula <laughs> It's a really terrible killer. story, to be honest. <laughs> it has nothing to do with anything. Oh, my. Easter uh, probably has a new significance for you then. More like Easter Bunny-centric than, G- than, than Risen Christ. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally like going, going back, back that way. It's super funny around Easter, though, because bunnies start showing up everywhere. And I'm just like, ah! <laughs> Dude, um, okay, good. I have to ask you about one thing Please. before we go. Um, so I'm I'm a fan of yours. I'm I'm a only fan of yours. Oh, okay. Now, so you, like, I know so many people who have only fans, Mm-hmm. But I don't think I've ever met a man who who has an OnlyFans account. Mm-hmm. What has that been like, and how did you get started on that? And like, what? I, I'm so curious. Like everybody that I know that that does OnlyFans is a girl. So right. You know what? Um, that's actually that's a really interesting question because I didn't really think about that until I started mine. I was like, because me and a bunch of my friends who have OnlyFans, we all gave each other like subscriptions so we could like boost each other. And then I just realized I just now had a social feed of just tons of naked pictures of my female friends. And I was like, I guess, I mean, we're all participating in this, in this uh, together. So it wasn't like weird, but we're all just like gassing each other up like, yo, you look awesome. Um, But as a, as a dude and going into that, um, it goes way back. I used to get in trouble when I was like seven for drawing pictures of naked people. And I would always say the devil made me do it, you know? Um, Good answer. And uh, well, it's probably puberty demon. Puberty demon hormones made me do it. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, was, I wanted to, this was when I was in high school, I was like, I think I want to be a porn star when I grow up. Um, it was just one of my many fleeting thoughts, but it was felt fairly significant. So then getting into this place where like, I'm really, um, we didn't really touch on this very much, but it's a huge part of my story was I went from drinking a lot and having this very damaged relationship with myself to this incredibly healing pivot that took place when I was 26. And I started to get into wellness, nutrition, and um, I, the byproduct of this change in relationship with myself uh, was uh, my body started to take shape like in a really powerful way that was um, appealing, <laughs> I guess. You know, it started to look great naked, um, I guess. And so I was like, you know what? I, I want to show this off and I want to 
you know, put this out there because it's like, there is, there was a part of me that like enjoyed that kind of connection with people, you know, it's like more of a kind of a sexual connection, I guess. Um, so yeah, I started in OnlyFans. I haven't really kept up with it. It was like, there was like a, a nice like spurt at the beginning of the year where I was just like, yep, here's me, you know, posing tastefully naked and whatever. Um, and the experience has been, I don't make nearly as much money as my female friends. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's been fun. And I see it's like, it's like my demographic is, I mean, I'm, I'm bisexual and a lot of the people that do subscribe are, you know, also bisexual or, or homosexual. And it's like, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just like, it's interesting than, than what I've been formerly used to participating in, which is just a bunch of horny dudes gawking at a girl, you know? So it's, it's like, oh, you know, I'm really, I'm making myself kind of, uh, I'm objectifying and commodifying, uh, myself in a way, but I don't feel like, feel like that has to be a bad thing. Like it's, it's fun and it's something I'm proud of. And, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. it's been a, it's been a, a learning experience because like I said, it was like, I had all these curiosities growing up and I was like, now's my opportunity to kind of dip my toes into like, I guess what, you know, would be categorized as sex work. And, um, it's been, it's, you know, you can, you can imagine how you will feel in a scenario until you're actually in it. Then you're just like, oh, I had no idea I would react this way. It's the, it's the classic battle between the mind and the heart. So in my mind, I was like, this will be fun. Then in my heart, I had a few times when I was like, you know what? I really don't want to be showing this much of myself off. I really want to make this more special. Not saying it was making it not special, but you know, it's, it's like, if, if you only get to see somebody once a year, it's special when you see them that one time. But if you see them every day, you just kind of forget about them. You know, you're like, oh, that's just my neighbor rather than yeah. you know, going to my see neighbor them. who walks out naked in his back lawn every <laughs> single day. It was like weird at first, a little taboo. Now it's just like, now it's normal. There it is. This oh, is part of my life. It comes yeah, with the house. They call him <laughs> Naked Nick, my neighbor. Yeah. It's crazy. It's funny guy. <laughs> that can be that can be fun or dark. It goes yeah. either way. <laughs> My my oh. wife has a she does OnlyFans. That's, that's awesome. That's part of how she makes her living, you know. And uh, I was curious, like it's a constant back and forth, you know, for for women in in that line of work and stuff like that. Like people overstepping boundaries, people sure. being disrespectful, people doing things that are obviously like it's you, know, you start to get the sense that's like, oh, you you enjoy making someone uncomfortable or putting this out there on someone and seeing their reaction and stuff in a disrespectful way. Like, have you experienced that as a, as a man or is it, uh, do you think the dynamics a lot different? The, um, you know, my, my audience that's participated, um, with OnlyFans has been relatively small. So, um, I've been lucky enough to also, surprisingly i don't know uh, online i just have a generally like very like supportive respectful following um and then same with like people that were an only fan so i haven't gotten like any terribly like disrespectful requests or anything like that i have had a few people like message me just like hey I'll, it's cool paying for your nudes you care if i send you one and i'm like maybe not um <laughs> you know but it's it's never gotten it, it nothing's ever gotten really uh ugly but i can imagine that if i was doing it at a larger scale um then yeah absolutely i mean you see that behavior show up all the time 
Uh, yeah, it's it's not. Oh, it's it's tricky. Yeah, incels seem to be a straight crowd by and large too. So yeah. I feel like they're a part yeah. of the problem demographic. Yeah, I I uh, I have a friend who's like who kills it on OnlyFans, and you know I was asking her for advice, and she was like, you know, I would collaborate with you, but you're a dude, and my fans would hate that. So <laughs> and I was like, I'm uh, trying yeah. to picture them in the scenario, not somebody else taking the place that they wish they had. Yeah, right. Exactly. Oh man. But um, yeah, it's been something that I've been wanting to to push back more into and put more of a structure around because I just, you know, as, as I could go on, I mean, you know, a year and a half ago, I was the music director at a video game studio. And then a few months later, I was the manager of, you know, two world record holding power lifters. And then I became a personal trainer myself. And now I um, take pictures of Dungeons and Dragons products. So uh, <laughs> you know, man, just, that's that's a lot of different it's fan a bases. lot of things. So I'm I'm trying to just like kind of narrow down and focus on uh, on a few things and put some structures around it. So OnlyFans will be one of those things because it's fun. Okay, man, well, that's awesome. I, yeah, dude, this was so much fun talking to you. I I mean, I had a couple of questions written down and take you taking us down your rabbit rabbit hole. trail. I guess. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. it, it's, I was like, you know, I wanted to get back into how you perceive miracles as a kid. It's like. You get you oh, answered yeah. all my questions. One of the few times I had, I got nothing to double back on, nothing to follow up on. So cool. Thanks so much for sharing that story. I honestly, you even talking about having another story definitely makes me want to do this oh, again. Sometime. God, so many stories. I've recently gotten <laughs> back into practicing a lot of like prophecy and even healing and all of that, and it's been crazy. It's been amazing. It's been beautiful, and it's like. Um, you know, like I said, it was like the the big the big struggle has not just been like it, it's been recontextualizing the magic, I guess. You know. Yeah, yeah, I love it, man. I love the the posture you have, the the looking back. I mean, even the way you think about and talk about your upbringing, even the parts that aren't good, recognizing that it's part of your journey. I, it sounds so healthy. It sounds like you're in such a great place. And, and thanks so much for talking with us and sharing yeah. this where can um, uh, people find you let's direct people to your to what you got going on oh man you can find me um all across the board I, I i pop up here and there on different things um i've got poetry books you can find at secretmidnightpress.com um i am mostly hanging out on instagram you can find me on twitter occasionally getting on there and tweeting something that probably doesn't make sense uh, and then i'm also on tiktok uh or you can just email me just contact jesse kale at jamal.com that's gmail sorry well, <laughs> yeah <laughs> at jamal.com at jamal.com uh, well thanks for uh thanks for being a part of this episode man we really appreciate it and uh we're looking forward to seeing what's next for you i mean you're obviously you're headed in an upward direction so it's it's uh it's fun you're a you're a vibrant person oh thank you i appreciate that so the goal a whimsical, yes. Oh man, whimsical. Oh. If, I, if that shows up on my grave, I would be so. If it just said absurd and whimsical, that's all I want. Nonsensical is, is my. Um, but yeah, I appreciate. It. Thanks for having me on. You know, I I, I feel like there's so much more we could talk about. So <laughs> yeah, thanks it. guys. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for listening, and we will catch you next time.